For the third consecutive year, Democratic Representative Camille Brown has introduced the Crown Act. The legislation, which has been signed into law in 14 states, prohibits race-based hair discrimination. Florida is not one of those states. WMFE's Talia Blake talked to her about the bill and her efforts to get it passed in this year's session. Representative Brown, this is the third year in a row you filed this bill prohibiting the discrimination of, you know, protective styles like braids and dreads. Why does it keep failing? We are here with a just about super majority Republican controlled legislature who doesn't have an appetite to really uh, sit down and have conversations and learn more about the importance of this sort of legislation. So what we have done this year with taking a third stab at it is try to break it up. Typically, when we have brought it before the House and the Senate, it has dealt with prohibiting discrimination in education, in our housing market, as well as in our workplace. Uh, And so this year, the bill looks a tad bit different with only focusing on education. What keeps you introducing the legislation? Well, being a black woman and raising also a black son who has hair, who I have not cut his hair, he's 16 months and has a head full of hair, uh, and I don't look to cut it. Uh, What I do feel is it's important for us to embrace our natural state. We know the importance and the health component of us wearing our hair in our natural state. It's a part of our culture. And I think it's important that, you know, we sort of look to reduce many of the misnomers, the lack of education, um, and even the biases and discrimination that comes along with hair. You know, it is majority the other culture and primarily white culture that looks to judge us based off of a hair type or a hair shape. And have you heard stories that make this legislation necessary? Um, For example, I know there's been some stories where students couldn't graduate because they wouldn't want to cut their dreadlocks. Have you heard stories, you know, that make this legislation necessary? Uh, A student in Orlando, uh, some years ago, a young lady who wore her hair in its natural state in an afro, a curly afro, and she was told that her hair was too big and that she would be getting expelled from school until her and her parents changed the style of her hair. Uh, So we are having a lot of problems within our K through 20 schools and more so in our K through 12. And so myself along with uh, Senator Bracey have looked to work here from a state perspective uh, to change those outcomes. And speaking of the problem in schools, HB 1253 prohibits discrimination, you know, based on protected hairstyle in Florida, K through 20 public education systems, but it doesn't give protections for people in the workforce. I know earlier you said that part of the reason is you broke up the bill this year, but if this gets passed, is that something you're working towards next, Representative Brown? Absolutely. Uh, With breaking up the, the bill, it helps us to kind of focus on one section of law. Uh, to really um, talk about and also, like I said, change. I know in the past a lot of the hesitation from um, our leadership dealt specifically with uh, the workforce component. 
um, and being a business owner or a private business owner, do we um, violate, you know, certain rights of that business? So, or bring in additional or unnecessary lawsuits. That's Representative Camilla Brown talking about HB 1253, which prohibits discrimination based on protective and natural hairstyles in Florida's K-12 and college public education system. She says there's still hope for the bill, even though it has yet to be heard. Brown urges supporters of this legislation to reach out to the committee and request a hearing. COVID-19 has killed more than 200,000 residents and staff at nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. And now with Omicron, those places are again struggling. While the death rate is a fraction of what it was before vaccines were available, more staff are out due to breakthrough infections, which is aggregating long-standing staffing shortages. NPR's Ritu Chatterjee reports. Sherilyn Hughes is a nurse's aide at North Cascade Health and Rehab Center in Bellingham, Washington. She's worked at the facility for over a decade and says that the recent staffing shortage is the worst she's ever seen. There were times where there was either no one on the schedule or the person who was supposed to be with me to take care of the residents decided not to come in for whatever reason. There have been days when she's had to care for as many as 25 residents alone. There's a profound sense of disappointment at the beginning of your shift because you know that you're barely going to sit down and that you're going to be exhausted by the end of it and that you're not going to be able to give, you know, the best care possible. The stress is unbearable. Patricia Johnson is a nursing assistant at Ambassador Nursing Home in Chicago. She's lost family members and residents to COVID-19 and has kept working the whole time, often putting in extra hours, doing double shifts. Sometimes I be wanting to take days off, but I know if I take days off, my co-workers are going to work short because we're just trying to work and keep everything together, basically. And the entire industry is feeling the pressure. Quite frankly, it's been it's been pretty brutal. Nathan Shima is the president and CEO of the Good Samaritan Society, one of the largest nonprofit providers of long-term care in the country. He says nearly 400 staff have recently tested positive despite being vaccinated. Some of our more rural communities where, you know, you're serving 30 to 40 residents, it doesn't take but you know, one or two nurses to be out with COVID to really create a a tough situation. Shima says the organization has had to hire more agency workers than ever before. Managers and other non-frontline staff have had to step in to give exhausted frontline workers a break. The organization has had to limit new admissions and even close some facilities. In November of 2021, just a few months ago, we announced closure of four of our communities in Nebraska and Kansas. These closures are happening across the industry. But the staffing shortages didn't start with the pandemic. It's a perennial problem. It's a chronic problem. Susan Reinhardt is executive director of the Public Policy Institute at AARP. We know that even before the pandemic, back in 2020, that there were already staff shortages in nursing homes, home care, assisted living, long-term care in general. She says a major cause of this problem is poor pay. You know, their wages are not adequate. We know that. They often are searching for enough hours to work full time and have benefits. This is difficult, very difficult work. Trisha Newman is senior vice president of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Many people are not trained well for this kind of work, to work with patients with dementia. That's that's certainly not easy. She says the pandemic 
has only made things harder. Long-term care workers have put their own lives at risk. They've watched residents and colleagues die of COVID-19. So it's just been a lot tougher now. And exhausted and burnt-out workers have quit in record numbers. Sherilyn Hughes, the nurse's aide in Washington, says many of her co-workers have left too. There was a pretty significant mass exodus of nurses' aides, office workers, nurses. She says many have moved to other industries. I know lots of people who say that the pay is way too low and the environment is too stressful and sad. That they would rather get yelled at doing retail for about the same amount that they would get paid, you know, doing one of the hardest jobs. Hughes says her employers have given staff hazard pay, and last year she and her fellow union members negotiated raises. For the first time in her career, she says she's seeing the industry recognize the urgent need to raise wages. She and her colleagues are lobbying for more state funding for the industry and to make sure that the money goes directly to frontline staff. There just isn't any other way to fix this problem. We have to be able to offer a better living wage to people that are going to be coming in and doing one of the most important jobs in healthcare. Read to Chatterjee, NPR News. In New Mexico, dozens of members of the National Guard have volunteered to work as substitute teachers. It's an effort to keep schools open in a state where hundreds of teachers have retired or quit during the pandemic and where others have to isolate after being exposed to COVID. From member station KUNM, Alice Fordham reports. In a sunny classroom in Powake Valley Middle School, north of Santa Fe, a class of lively eighth graders is doing a reading exercise. And a National Guardsman in uniform paces around, peering over their shoulders. It's his second day as a substitute teacher, and his arrival caused quite a stir. I went to one of my classes, and I saw him there. I was kind of shocked at first. Student Joshua Villalobos says... During the Omicron wave, many teachers have been absent. It's pretty stressful now that there's COVID around in school and there's a bunch of cases going around and some people have to get quarantined. He's okay with having a soldier teaching. He doesn't want school to close again. He didn't learn much remotely and coming back was hard. I was kind of nervous. Like we got there, I didn't talk to nobody. None of us really knew each other. Like, if the teacher calls me, I wasn't like, really going to know what she's talking about because I didn't learn anything. One person from each table, collect the papers. The newly minted substitute teacher, Austin Alt, is 25 and has never taught a class in his life. He usually works as a lab technician. After a background check and a few hours of online training, his first assignment was band class. I was anxious. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. The kids were very comforting, welcoming in me in and very respectful and such. They showed me a lot about learning music as well, so it was a learning experience on both ends. He volunteered after watching his younger brothers struggle with remote learning. The online stuff just doesn't get to them correctly. And then it's also hard because some people don't have the internet. More kids live in poverty here than in almost any other state. School principal Mario Vigil says the poorest children really suffer when schools close. It was very difficult for our students to be home alone. We have families who are working class families who have one, possibly two, sometimes three jobs, and they're busy working and putting food on the table. But keeping school open is getting harder as more teachers retire or quit. 
ground down by remote learning and by dealing with students affected by loneliness, hardship or grief. We're asking them to be counselors, we're asking them to be teachers, we're asking them to be caretakers. It's taxing for teachers and I can see how our teachers are getting burnt out. New Mexico now has a shortfall of more than a thousand teachers. Still, not everyone thinks minimally trained volunteers are the solution. Some say what's needed is real professionals. And there are plans to recruit more teachers. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham has proposed a big pay rise for educators. New Mexico ranks 32nd nationwide in average salary for teachers. But right now, during this crisis, Lujan Grisham has volunteered to be a sub herself and encouraged state employees as well as the National Guard to join her. After class, kids run to get on waiting buses. Students Hannah Sarmiento and Anna Daly Firo say they like the new substitute. I kind of thought he was going to be, like, strict. It was actually kind of fun. Life with no school was hard. Very depressing. Kind of sad because we didn't get to see our friends. It's, like, very depressing. And they hug and walk off together across the snowy schoolyard under the clear blue sky. For NPR News, I'm Alice Fordham in Bowake. Canada. We should move to Canada. It's been a weekend of huge disruptive demonstrations across Canada as protesters demanding an end to COVID-19 public health mandates used large vehicles to block streets in several cities. In the Canadian capital of Ottawa, vehicles have occupied downtown for more than a week. Reporter Emma Jacobs has more. This was the sound in downtown Ottawa Saturday evening. The ninth day residents who live in the center of the Canadian capital have lived with a constant barrage of horns, truck engines and nightly fireworks. Into the early hours, demonstrators blared music, drank and fed bonfires in downtown streets. Mayor Jim Watson spoke with CFRA local radio this morning. Well, the situation at this point is completely out of control um, because the individuals with the protest uh, are calling the shots. Uh, They have uh, far more people than we have police officers. Hundreds of members of a convoy of large trucks and other vehicles that arrived last weekend have remained encamped around the heart of the city and national government and have appeared increasingly dug in putting up tents, wooden structures, even bouncy castles. Convoy supporters have also been storing and freely carrying large numbers of cans of fuel for vehicles and propane tanks for their barbecue grills around residential streets and city and federal buildings. Police Chief Peter Slowly has repeatedly noted the protest is unlike any other to take place in the Canadian capital. He spoke to an emergency meeting of the Police Services Board over the weekend. This is a siege. It is something that is different in our democracy than I've ever experienced in my life. Based on Ottawa's experience, other cities seemed more prepared for convoys of small and large vehicles that converged in cities across Canada this weekend, including Vancouver, Quebec City, and in Toronto, where tractors occupied a major roadway and police said protesters and vehicles impeded ambulances trying to reach downtown hospitals. Polling shows Canadians as a whole becoming more supportive of lifting some public health measures, which generally have been stricter across Canada than much of the United States. But that doesn't equal support for protesters' methods or some of the other far-right causes of the organizers in Ottawa. 
Many residents and employees of Ottawa businesses have reported harassment and vandalism by convoy supporters. Paul Champ, an Ottawa human rights lawyer who filed a class action lawsuit Friday on behalf of downtown residents, said in an online forum over the weekend he initially felt conflicted about taking legal action against demonstrators. I know that they're very angry and and they feel like, um, you know, the state is imposing on them and all that. And, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. I can be sympathetic to that, but um, they're harming other people. He said he hopes an injunction could push police to take more forceful action. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked by reporters Thursday about the possibility of deploying the military, in addition to members of the federal Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Trudeau currently has COVID and spoke virtually. One has to be very, very cautious before uh, deploying uh, military in uh, in situations uh, engaging uh, Canadians. Uh, it is not something... Uh, that anyone should enter in lightly. Uh, but uh, as of now, there have been no uh, requests, and uh, and that is not uh, in the cards right now. Members of the Conservative Party have been split on the issue, with some posing for photos with demonstrators. Over the weekend, growing numbers of American Republican politicians began voicing support for the convoy after GoFundMe suspended a fundraiser that had raised millions of dollars from Canadian and international donors over violations to its terms of service. For NPR News, I'm Emma Jacobs in Montreal. Eyes on me, eyes on me. Gentlemen, this is a game of awareness. It is a game of desire. That's why we have the three whistle drill. Let's go! When I blow this whistle three times, you seek out a teammate, any teammate. You make collision. You be physical. You be violent. Bring it in here. Let's go. Bring it in. The only way you're going to get this player's hands off you, your grandpa is throwing you squeeze. You choke him until shit runs down his leg. Do you understand? The Super Bowl is next week, and whether you love football or hate it, it is hard to ignore it. The Super Bowl is the largest television event of the year, and football is the most watched sport in this country, which is just one reason the lawsuit filed by Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, is sending shockwaves through the National Football League. Flores, who is black, is suing the NFL on three of its teams, alleging racial discrimination. His complaint states that the NFL is, quote, managed much like a plantation, unquote, noting the staggering imbalance between the racial makeup of the NFL's players, nearly 60 percent of whom are black, and the racial makeup of team owners, management and coaching ranks. As of now, only one head coach among the 32 teams is black and no owners are. This has come up before, and in 2003, the league implemented a policy to address that. It's called the Rooney Rule, after the late owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Dan Rooney. And it requires that with a few exceptions, teams interview candidates from historically underrepresented groups for top jobs, like head coach or general manager. The idea was that if those in a position to hire and promote were exposed to top diverse talent, they would do so, especially after a study showed black coaches actually had better records than many white coaches. But the Flores suit called the Rooney Rule a failure. So we decided to go back to one of the key people involved in the creation of it to get his take. That's civil rights lawyer Cyrus Mary, who worked with attorney Johnny Cochran. He said their goal was to level the playing field. What I was looking for is a solution that would be a unifying solution, which was to have an inclusive process as opposed to dictating outcomes. I'm using fair competition as a guiding principle. If you're, if this is a game about competition, 
then you shouldn't be afraid to compete against minority coaches. You should be able to look at who's the best by getting people in the process. The lawsuit from Brian Flores states, quote, the Rooney rule may have been well-intentioned. However, well-intentioned or not, what is clear is that the Rooney rule is not working, unquote. Flores said more about that when he spoke with Jay Williams on the NPR podcast The Limits and describing his encounter with the Denver Broncos. Flores said he went into it feeling like it was a Rooney rule interview, those are his words, because first he was kept waiting for up to an hour, and then when he was finally called in, it seemed clear his interviewers were unprepared. And, you know, this, this look disheveled, looked like they were out of it, a couple guys in particular. Um, and, you know, I just felt like it was, uh, it, it was, you know, the, the decision had already been made. The criticism is that NFL teams are interviewing minority candidates without any actual intention of hiring them. What do you say about that? There are a lot of things in the lawsuit that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And one is the criticism of the Rooney Rule. So, it has worked, okay? Just statistically, it has worked over time. So when we built the Rooney Rule, it wasn't just a rule. We built up infrastructure. We built up the Fritz Pollard Alliance to advocate for candidates and for policy changes and would provide a, a, a list of what we call the ready list of candidates ready to compete throughout the league. We also, in the first year of it, the league enforced the rule when there was a violation by the Detroit Lions that didn't have a sincere process because they already had their candidate in mind. So we had these pillars. So why did it unravel? It unraveled because, in my judgment, one of the pillars was taken out from under the building we, we built. And that was three to four years ago when the Oakland Raiders made a decision, the owner made a decision to go with John Gruden and and the interviews were an afterthought not even made by the decision maker. And then when we went to the league, meeting the Fritz Pilot Alliance, and said, you have to put the hammer down, Mark Davis crossed the line. Unlike what happened with Detroit in 2003, in 2017, they didn't enforce the rule. What we know from our work, and this is advising companies litigating against companies, all different arenas, that accountability matters for equal opportunity to succeed. Let me just jump in for a second. What you're saying is that when the Detroit Lions were found to have violated the rule, they were fined. It was a substantial fine, as I recall. It was a couple hundred thousand, like $200,000. Is that accurate? And then subsequently, when the owner of the Raiders was found to have violated the rule, there was no fine. Well, we it was obvious they violated the rule, but the league did not enforce it. And the The difference is this. When you enforce equal opportunity measures, that sends a message throughout an entire organization. We are serious about this. Before we let you go, there were nine open head coach positions at the end of the NFL regular season this year. Six of them have been filled by white men. The last three are still open. Is there something that you say needs to happen or that you think, based on the facts as you understand them, that needs to happen right now to encourage the Rooney Rule to actually do what it's supposed to do, to diversify these coaching ranks? That's where leadership really matters. Leadership is about making sure the process is inclusive and trying to win championships, not just win press conferences. And I think that This is a key moment in the NFL history because it's either going to have to step up, 
really take this seriously, use the tools that are in place. We've built up a great set of infrastructure. You have people committed to this in the league office that is genuine, but it's up to the 32 sets of decision makers to really fulfill this. But how is this, a, forgive me, forgive me, how is this a rule if it can be ignored? I mean, if, if, if there is no enforcement mechanism, if it's basically up to the goodwill of the people involved, how is that an enforcement mechanism? Well, what we said in 2003 is if you don't put teeth behind the rule, you will destroy the rule. And we said that again in 2017. They heard us in 2003. They didn't hear us in 2017. So it puts the league in a hole. They have a lot of digging up to do to really make up for that. That one mistake of not putting teeth behind the rule in 2017 is costing, is having an enormous difference because it sends them, it sent a message that it doesn't matter. They need to send a message. It does matter. And look at the situation now with the Flores, not as about litigation, but what can they do now in their own house to send a message that this really matters? That's attorney Cyrus Mary. He is a founding partner of Mary and Scallet, and he was one of the key people involved in the creation of the Rooney Rule. Cyrus Mary, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. Remote, in-person, hybrid. These are the three main work setups we've had for nearly two years as companies adapt to the new realities of the pandemic. But the next evolution of work could be in the emerging online realm known as the metaverse. But working in the metaverse presents plenty of challenges, as well as opportunities. Joining us to discuss those is WSJ tech reporter and regular guest on the podcast, Sarah Needleman. Thanks for being here, Sarah. It's my pleasure, as always. So, Sarah, how will working in the metaverse work? It would depend to some extent on how you're using the metaverse. But generally speaking, the thinking is that we'd be able to log into these virtual spaces that are so realistic, it would be as if we're in the same physical room. It's a lot more immersive than a video chat. And uh, we would look and see each other as avatars that could, if we choose, look identical to our real selves. And you can imagine in a workplace setting, you would be expected to have your avatar look professional. If you are working in a factory, you might be trained on how to use dangerous equipment or costly equipment in a a virtual setting because there's no real danger there, no real cost. If you're working with a virtual replica of a complex piece of machinery, for example, and uh, you might go hang out with your colleagues at a virtual bowling alley to, you know, just socialize. Does that mean workers are going to be in the metaverse all day? Uh, no, it is not. Um, at least in most cases, it won't be. We're only going to use a virtual reality or an AR headset when we need to. It's not something that we're going to spend all our time and it's just not practical and it's probably not even healthy to have our eyes glued to a screen all day long. And so when the occasion arises, we'll go in, but it's not something we're going to do 24-7. We're not going to go into the office and put on a headset and uh, look like a bunch of weirdos all day long. And that's certainly not what the developers are anticipating when they make the software and hardware for the metaverse. So why would employers embrace this? I mean, we already have remote and hybrid work. Why invest in having, you know, a metaverse workplace instead? Right now, we've certainly seen the pros and cons of working remotely. And for some organizations, it's actually turned out to be a lot better. And so when you're looking for talent and maybe the best person for the job is nowhere near your office, well, that's no longer an issue. 
And then, as I mentioned before, you're getting to test equipment that in real life would maybe be very expensive. Like imagine, for example, the uh, testing vehicles. We have crash test dummies and we really damage real cars to test them out. And in the metaverse, the idea is that you could test a vehicle for safety and multiple weather conditions just in a matter of seconds. You don't need to actually damage a real car and you don't need test dummies and you don't need real human beings to clean up the mess afterwards and start over. And that's just one small example. So you can imagine um, if you are a consultant and your client is an, an oil rig business, to get out to an oil rig is certainly not ideal and, and dangerous and, and complicated. Again, you could be able to do that in the metaverse without having to actually leave your home. And so there are plenty of applications that will make the workplace more efficient. There'll be faster feedback loops. If your job is to learn how to use a piece of equipment, you could do it as many times as you want in the metaverse because the equipment is virtual, it's not real. So you could just go at it until you perfect it. So there are a lot of potential benefits to this technology. It makes me wonder, though, if you are, for example, going out to an oil rig or if you're a regulator who wants to inspect how a company is operating, if you're doing that in the metaverse, it seems like there are some obvious pitfalls or maybe ways companies could skirt certain rules if you're not really seeing what's going on, if you're only seeing what's in the virtual world. Sure. If you're talking about regulatory matters, that's different. And there are a number of negatives, like some things will have to be done with your own eyes. But even in the metaverse, we could have cameras that look into real time, real world. Keep in mind, the, the metaverse is not replacing the existing workplace. It's more additive as opposed to substitutive. But it's going to depend on certain situations and not everything is going to translate over to a virtual setting. Speaking of the downsides, you know, one of the concerns is that managers would have a much more powerful tool for oversight and surveillance. And so while there could be benefits to that, there could also be downsides to that where uh, the potential that your information is being misinterpreted, they could track your body temperature or heart rate from a smartwatch and use eye tracking to see your avatar's head moving left or right and maybe come to some sort of conclusion about your emotional state that is inaccurate. Speaking of potential downsides, it seems like there are certain jobs that just won't work in the metaverse. For instance, you know, if you're a dentist, how do you see a patient in the metaverse? You might meet them to show them 3D replicas of their teeth and say, you know, if you've ever been to the dentist, sometimes they'll show you um, slides and whatnot. So you could potentially meet with them and to go over maybe serious surgery that you're going to have. And they could show you in 3D what work is going to be done. But for your average cleaning, that does seem rather unlikely. Um, the dentist, however, may use VR to train. So there may be some sort of new procedure. And rather than test it out on a poor <laughs> person who's willing to be a, a guinea pig, the dentist might you know, practice it on a virtual replica of a person first. So there are different use cases for it, but it's not something you would necessarily use 24-7. I mean, even in a grocery store, you still, well, we may have people just scanning their own food and not need a, a person to scan for them. But in those old-fashioned situations, you might have someone doing a training of a virtual store. You'll know where every single item goes. Before you even set foot for your first day in the job, you'll know where everything belongs because you have a virtual replica of that store. And so you'll be very familiar with where every product is and, and that training might happen in advance. But when you're actually there on the job, no, you wouldn't necessarily be using a headset. So Sarah, would you work in the metaverse? I certainly could see myself meeting with some people. Sometimes when I, you know, I'm, I'm writing about tech, uh, there are companies that want to give me a demonstration of their tech that would be best done in, in real life. And if I can't get out there and I could do it in the metaverse and get a much more immersive experience, why not? 
And then you and I could have these conversations at the virtual Wall Street Journal water cooler. Exactly. And it will feel as if we're sitting next to each other rather than many miles away. And we can't see each other's body language. And and with the avatars, the metaverse, the avatars are expected to be so lifelike that if I'm winking in real life, you'll see me wink in the metaverse. If I raise my hand or if I roll my eyes, you'll see that too. All right. That was our reporter, Sarah Needleman. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Great to be here. None of that that gave me any reason for excitement. Maybe if they were talking about that technology in a different context, but not for the workplace. I don't need to see all of my homies, coworkers, when they give a side eye or groan or whatever it is, if we're in the virtual realm uh, context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, February 11, 2022. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. Dial in if you have thoughts, observations, suggestions to share, not for spectators not for spectators Uh, if you are classified unfortunately as non-white victim of white supremacy if you have figured out some things to do you are never harassed about your hair male or female come to work you have your lip beard full beard locks chemically hair has not been chemically mutilated all of that change it up every day no one says a word no compliments either it's just you know business as usual never been a problem you get all of your raises you get spectacular performance reviews every time still banking on your end of year bonus that you got for a marvelous performance in 2021 they don't mess your schedule over right they don't switch you around come in you're on floor five on monday and by the end of the week they moved you down in the basement none of that stuff you need time off you get it they don't ask you to come and serve fried chicken for black history month none of that if you figured out how to get to that position please share with your brothers and sisters the number 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate I think all non-white people would like to be a little bit more comfortable in their work environment so if you have a few tips a little bit more comfortable a little bit more safe number again 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate the email until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com A few things from the audio segments that we heard at the beginning, and then we'll get to folks who dialed in and the folks who emailed 
Uh, number one, I guess really going all the way back to last week. Now, I didn't uh, make any comments on the air, although I should have. The white president uh, at the University of Michigan uh, had to resign uh, because of inappropriate sexual contact one of his subordinates what have you they have rules about that sort of thing we've referenced that regularly right a lot of workplaces even beyond like universities and colleges they'll have rules where you know like a supervisor manager president ceo that sort of thing cannot have any sort of sexual or romantic in quotes uh arrangement with a subordinate just big power dynamic exactly what we talk about all the time and it's just inappropriate you can be taking advantage of people uh, in that's why the McDonald's suit where they said the manager came and said, Hey, you know, you mess around, come to my house, then you can get some more hours. Appalling, very common, but appalling. Anyway, uh, so this just happened like a couple of weeks ago. White man, Mark uh, ooh, Schlissel, I think is how you say his name. S C H L I S S E L, I think is how you say his name. But anyway, this is the president, University of Michigan. They have like multi billion dollar endowment, you know, really prestigious uh, school, not Ivy League, but I mean, hey, huge school. Uh, But he had to step down all this, you know, messing around with this other staff member, uh, white female, I believe it was. All of that to say, man, it's 2022. They got email, I think text messages. I think it was something technology. He had sent text messages or emails using the workplace email like, oh, my gosh, it is 2022. The amount of technology that they have, that is absurd. <laughs> like uh, you should never be contacting your care mate, potential hookup, side piece, whatever it is. You should never be contacting them with your work email. I mean, that is that's something I would expect from like a 12 year old, a 13 year old. Like you are totally clueless about the world in which we live. I wouldn't care if it's your wife. Get you a Yahoo account, whatever you need, but it should not be worth this. Uh, That's your work phone or what have you. Same thing have a separate phone like my goodness like if if you can't do that then you need to pause this whole arrangement until you can work the communications out because that is destined to cause all kinds of problems at minimum do you want all of your coworkers, IT department going in and hacking get all these emails and text messages and share them with everybody that you work with because they white people do that sort of thing and or like I said with Elizabeth Holmes end up 10 years later having something come out in court and you have to come in and testify about all these illicit emails or text messages or both while you're married to somebody else with children and now you got a a, a work email address and or text phone all of that is never used for hanky panky I guess keep that in mind with the 14th coming up not that any cows listeners are in all of that to this week the uh, nurses they talked about the labor shortages we heard that in two different industries so they started off with nurses uh, number one the system of white supremacy they talked about the aging the graying right of the population with a lot of individuals classified as white getting older 
uh, and employing lots of non-white nurses. Sometimes they'll get non-white people who are born in different parts of the world and uh, bus or cart them over here and pay them very poorly, as you heard in the segment, to come in and take care of them and all that. And now, ooh, sure. And I mean, that's an easy one to see exactly what I just said. We're not going to pay you all a whole not whole lot. And then you're not going to get any benefits. And then this terroristic job, like having to come in and watch these people and do all this. And you heard some of the folks talking and that was audio from NPR. But I suspect I suspect just based on the demographics and what I know about that industry, a lot of non-white people. We have even some listeners who work in that field. A lot of exploitation of black people. They even had a report here or they've had many, but uh, specifically here in Seattle, it was a big lawsuit. Uh, They had black uh, healthcare workers with white elderly patients who were racist. Duh. And so, you know, they can't even go to the bathroom. This is why I say, like, it should never be said not all white people are racist. VGQ, but that should never be said because it cannot be proven that this is going to stand up for all time. This individual is classified as white and they have not now, nor will they ever practice racism since nobody can truthfully say that under the current conditions it shouldn't be said that said you got individuals classified as white that are so old and feeble they can't even go to the bathroom by themselves but they still know what a nigger is and how they even in the midst of being in their own poo might be needing a nigger to actually change out of their pooey diaper I know what a nigger is nigger Look what I did in my diaper, nigra. And so they had a big lawsuit about all the staff saying, you know, they're practicing racism. This is absurd. I shouldn't have to be subjected to this. And the staff said, tough titty, get in there and clean up that race soldier, you know, be professional, (laughs) be professional. So you can take all that into context in addition to the vaccine mandates and all that. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, they were saying a lot of the nursing homes, it was really bad and staffing deaths and all that. No surprise at all. Easily for that to be a field to have a whole lot of folks say, I'm out of here for whatever reason. Retirement. I don't want the vaccine. Racism. All the above. Wacky protocols. Same thing. Staffing shortage this time with the school in New Mexico where they had to bring in the National Guard. Man. I don't know the demographics of that school, but if they did that in an area with a lot of white people and especially white people that are have more resources, they would be outraged. I wouldn't care if it was kindergarten, first grade, like whatever, like you have some 25 year old whatever to come in and teach our children this person is not quite what are their qualifications and all the rest of it and we have to hope that you did a, a a vetted and did a background check on these people like are you serious oh my god that would not be acceptable at all like i said now there's some things that you can't really plan for in terms of you know talking about things before you conceive a child in the system of white supremacy but i mean whoa not even thinking about Little Narc 9 and all the rest of it, but just what? What type of quiet? They already said in the segment they didn't want to close the schools. That's why they brought the National Guard in, right? Compensating. Schools closed. A lot of children not doing well, disproportionately non-white children. They've said this repeatedly. Lots of what we heard in the report don't have Wi-Fi and all the rest. So let's keep them in school. I get the logic. 
but man, like it's so the staffing is so low. People that were saying that, you know, they were seeing commercials and things for substitute teachers in places they had never seen. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Nationwide shortages in every industry that you can think of, probably some that you can't even. Uh, so, <sighs> wow. Uh, like the impact of all of this. Uh, and even within that segment, when they started talking to some of the children and they were saying, yeah, I didn't learn anything at home. Teacher would call me. I didn't say anything because I don't know anything. I wasn't able to learn at home. The Wi-Fi wasn't working and all the rest of it. Like, man, I think children are super resilient and, you know, they can recuperate from all that. But I mean, this has dragged on for two years with no end in sight. <sighs> when they do the studies, like they wait 10 years to kind of see like how this impacted children specifically over this time period. Wow. I think it is going to be staggering the impact of it. <clears throat> when they got to the end, it was really brief, but they talked to two students and that was audio. Didn't get a visual may have been non-white students. I don't know. This is New Mexico. They talked to some of those students and they said, man, I'm just glad I didn't have to shut schools down again. Again, that's why they brought the national guard in a substitute. I'm just glad I didn't have to shut the schools down again. Cause man, it was, it was depressing. I could be at home. Couldn't see my friends one of the other young ladies followed. she said very depressing and then she said it again I said wow <laughs> like that is a lot of usage of the word depression like rapidly I mean just like emphasis it was really depressing super depressing what like ooh, to have lots of young people saying that and being stuck in this feeling of limbo and frustration and anxiety and depression and confusion. You don't even know when this is going to end. Man. And we don't even have a teacher. Now we got the National Guardsmen at school. Like, woo. Check on the mental well-being of your child or children. Let's see the V that didn't even get to the national guards. Like if I signed up for the national guard, I did not sign up to teach high school children bands. Like what? It... <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get to that part of it. But anyway, uh, we heard about the, uh, white protests in Canada. I'm just labeling that as more white defiance. Uh, I spoke with B in, Toronto about all this. She's in the same Providence where their white people are, are carrying on and doing all this and disrupting uh, production and what have you. They said auto companies in the United States are suffering and running into shortages because of this blockade at the border. I cannot imagine in any universe for any reason if black people had come out, me, be uh, let's with Thomas in New York, that's close to Canada. Some of the other folks up there, Northeast region, we got together. We got our little tribe. Yeah, we're not doing it. Vaccine and all this. They're pressing us. Yeah, I cannot. I mean, you want to talk about wacky universe with Philip K. Dick and Man in the High? I cannot imagine in the wackiest of sci-fi environments. Thomas in New York, we stole a police horse and we are blocking the border. We got propane tanks, grill. I got my Vitamix. We're making smoothies and what have you. They got pictures. They pulled like 
sofas and uh, luggage out into the street. And the white prime minister, Justin Trudeau and folks, are, man, I don't know, you know, they outnumbered us. What can we do? You know, that Thomas in New York is, is formidable. You know, I don't know that, that Gus, I don't want to get on his bad side. Like, oh, we have to think what <laughs> and over COVID I said man I've been to Canada we were supposed to be there two years ago when Jermaine Carby was killed in 2014 and they had all those uh, protests over racism police brutality carding all the rest of it man they were camping out and it was nightly all this about who they're coming and harassing us and ooh, <laughs> all these mandates and all that. They didn't let them shut down traffic. And they said in the report, because of these white people, truckers protesting, ambulances had difficulty even getting to the hospital. Are you serious? White defiance. They're supposed to be uh, relaxing some of the restrictions in Canada unless I've been misinformed Now they do have really strict uh, regulations about COVID-19 in Canada like so they have pretty strict regulations here in Seattle too but it's you know kind of a nationwide thing in Canada unless I've been misinformed that notwithstanding white defiance Jermaine Carby uh, let's see the oh my gosh the football says <laughs> This is not sports talk but wow so much of this is applicable they mentioned I mentioned his name last week the late grandsister Johnny L. Cochran Jr. People said I'm not being derisive not casting you know these people are crackpots not at all (laughs) I'm not a medical doctor I didn't see the autopsy report or anything but I am aware some people had suspicion about Johnny Cochran's death in 2005 lest my memory is bad they just told you in the NPR uh, report speaking with attorney Cyrus Mary uh, that hey Johnny Cochran I said that he was involved fighting against white supremacy racism in the NFL and hiring specifically that's what he was doing time of his death a lot more than just Arenthal James uh, Simpson and folks saying hey the NFL is a billion dollar industry of gangsters lots of interest to protect maybe they were tired of old Johnny Cochran mad about OJ Simpson to begin with and then really mad like you're coming in here and trying to mess up our money and even beyond the money make sure I get this in like it's never primarily about the finances in the system of white supremacy racism in terms of Dr. Welsing she has that whole section in the ISIS papers talking about ball games for white people it's never primarily about the money it is about white supremacy racism they understand the symbolism of that big retarded spectacle that's going to happen in two days they understand the importance the person when they go to recognize the brains of all this black brawn that got this done it was white brains of the quarterback and white brains of the coach that got this done that's the leader that's what it's supposed to be in the system of white supremacy they understand the symbolism of that that's why 20 years of Rooney rule and you got one 
black head coach and I hope they fire Mike Tomlin not that I'm against him at all black brother I love Mike Tomlin I'm just saying I hope they fire make it plain make all 32 coaches white that way is no confusion find a reason Ben Roethlisberger is leaving Mike Tomlin should leave too and get a white coach and now everybody knows what this is about no Colin Kaepernick no Rooney rule no niggers brain damage that's all you get brain damage no head coaching jobs the metaphors were amazing even just some of the information that was revealed that in 20 years now in my opinion hey man I mean are you telling me like Jerry Jones Mark Davis these are white billionaires who can invest all kinds of time, energy to hire and recruit black boys out of kindergarten who look like they might have a good arm. You're telling me that only one white male or female in the NFL can say, hey, I think one of these niggers could be a pretty good coach. Only one? In 20 years, that's as far as we've come. One Negro coach. It would be, in my view, just so we don't have confusion, it would make more sense just fire Mike Tomlin. Make it plain. Now we know what it's about. Within that same segment, Cyrus Mary, they said... One of the pillars, talking about the Rooney rule, one of the pillars was taken out. Now, they said the pillar, so-called, was enforcement, accountability. So if someone, they were talking about the Detroit Lions, which is owned by a white woman, not a white man. (laughs) So don't even get in there with that old boys network and white men. They said the Detroit Lions, they went through the whole sham process already had a white man that they wanted for the job and they said "Uh, you can't do that you're in trouble you're going to be fine there's going to be punitive action taken no problem they get to John Gruden interestingly and they say the Raiders who also have Mark Davis's white mother is a co-owner of the team they didn't even mention her but whatever Uh, they said it gets to the Raiders in 2014 and they hey we've already made our decision we want John Gruden race soldier and homophobe uh, we want John Gruden and so we just do the whole sham thing yeah bring it in there and they didn't punish them now I thought it was important he said they who exactly like put a name on it like were these non-white people specifically who you know hey oh we see Mark Davis and his white mom they didn't uh, they didn't hire they didn't interview they violated the Rooney rule and what have you and the spirit of Johnny Cochran but no charge for them, no uh, no punishment. You know, we'll, we'll let them slide this time. You know, give them a little slap on the. Who was that exactly? Who made that decision? Had the investigation at this point already taken place about John Gruden? Like, did they know this is like race soldier, John Gruden? What did he say? Rubber lips, John Gruden. Did they know all that information at this time? Let's see. He said, 
he said the league on a whole was in a hole or is in a hole and they have a lot of digging out to do and that they didn't listen he said that the reason the Rooney rule had worked was because of the enforcement but they stopped enforcing it he gave the 2014 example with John Gruden and he said I guess they told them this will only be effective at hiring black coaches if there's enforced he said has to be some teeth in it lots of metaphor has to be some teeth in it who didn't listen that was another one where he wasn't specific who exactly names put some white names on it in terms of people who ignored all this yeah we listened to all that glad you and johnny carkin out of here uh we were john gruden right john gruden new head coach las vegas raiders Woo! who were these people in my view all of those folks would be deliberate racism white supremacy and that sort of thing happens not just in the nfl but that's why you can't get black people in stem that's why you can't be black people in med school and just any other field that you want to talk about construction whatever it is that is constructive why is it so hard white people do not want to hire us and they will make up eight billion excuses as to why this has to be the case and then waste all this time 20 that's why i said don't waste all of our time we don't need to get colin kaepernick out there taking a knee and all the rest of it make it plain no nigra head coaches got it and then we can adjust our feelings you know maybe we don't need to watch the game this sunday maybe we don't need to have our child out here getting brain damage for this goofy sport to begin with make it plain make it plain the last one uh the metaverse just again the amount of technology like you have this sort of technology where we can be virtual everything and do virtual car tests and virtual you know office water cooler talk where it'll be like we're really in person hanging out even though you're at home in mexico or new mexico and i'm chilling in washington state it'll be like we're right here and doing it up and getting ready for a super bowl party that is amazing it is 2022 but that is amazing with all that type of technology it should be really easy to get some nigger coaches right they could have a whole algorithm and all that worked out where you even take some of the human bias out of the equation but anywho uh, just with the whole metaverse environment we did have folks who were working at home for a lot of the last two years some people the entirety uh, of the last two years so this might uh, become something uh, for some of the folks who are working I would say the same rules apply for all of that technology it gave me great pause about people that you work with having access to biometrics and I guess whatever other data might be available from having to be hooked into this virtual environment uh, and not to mention just the other elements of surveillance and how much time do I have to spend in all of this to I guess the thing, some sort of, you know, authentic ta- uh, touch as though we're really present and all the rest of it. But wow, uh, as I said at the very beginning, nothing about that would have me excited and eager to have this as my regular work experience. Like now we're all going to hang out virtually and gossip about everybody and all the other goofy things, non-constructive things that we do in the workplace. Like, yeah. change without improvement 
Anywho, uh, the number, no spectating, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. The email until justice at gmail.com. I can share your commentary anonymously or what have you if you're concerned about being identified. Uh, I will check, see if folks dialed in first, and then uh, I'll make sure to get the emails in as we proceed. Uh, Let's see. Uh, 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 Bay Area Mom, I see your hand. If you have commentary, you should be with us. So I miss, thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Okay, super. I'm driving, so just bear with me. So, um, thank you for taking my call. Um, greetings to everyone. Uh, I missed all the commentary except for, um, what you were just talking about, um, with, uh, Johnny Cochran and maybe football. Um, I do believe that, uh, the same as you, it's possible perhaps they could have helped him transition. Not just just my belief, especially with all the, uh, the things he would have been doing with his time. Uh, my workplace racism. So I remember talking about the little girl that slapped the teacher. So today, so yesterday, for the past two days, I've seen a little girl. So um, Tuesday, there was a fire drill. Um, Fire drill was very piercing sound. Mind you, I'm dealing with children on the spectrum, along with other disabilities. Piercing sound. And this is just drills they're prepping these children for. Um, so everybody goes out on the yard. The little girl, she she brought her little beanie baby. So with the say the belly going, eh, eh, eh. So she got the beanie baby. And she's pushing it, go, uh, uh, with every sound. That's just how agitating the sound is. So, um, right after that, someone comes to get her. We go back to class. Someone comes to get her. She just got a break. Someone comes to get her during her break. Because you just work for 20 minutes, then you get a five-minute break. So during her five-minute break, after working for 20 minutes, some Caucasian heavyset male is pulling her out of class to go to speech. Okay, time to go to speech. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Okay, so and so, you got to go to speech. No, I don't want to go. So you hear all this commotion and she don't want to go. Lord. So I'm like, um, wait, 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 what's going on? What's going on? Ah, speech. So this is the mean Gretchen, the, uh, the, the teacher. You're going to speech or you're going to your office? Go ahead, send her to the office. Get out of here. Send her to the office. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can I go to speech with her? And so the Caucasian male looked at me, looked at me up and down. Maybe. <laughs> All right, y'all. So I said, here we go. So they're going to pull this girl out of there. She's like, no, I don't want to go to speech. I don't want to go to speech. So she's screaming and then grabbing her tablet because she's on the, you know, because on her break, she's on the tablet, even though she was just working on the, well, the, the little laptop, Chromebook, whatever that is. So she's on this Chromebook. So that now he's gonna close the Chromebook on her. So she's holding on to the Chromebook. No, 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 Big commotion. And the teacher, you're going to the office. So then the teacher, A, the black teacher's A, well, paraeducator, 
she's, uh, do you want me to take her to the office or are you going to take her? I'm like, man, wait a minute. So it, all this commotion happens. So five minutes later, he goes and talks to the teacher, the Caucasian male, and basically is like, oh, well, no speech today. You know, good luck. Oh, well, no, I don't got time. I got to go. So he caused all this disruption to not, so now she, she blew her chance for speech, right? So now she's got to go to the office. So I got to take her. Somebody's going to take her to the office. I'm like, wait a minute. So I catch dude. I said, hey, look, dude, look. Next time she has something to do, do you think you could just let her know? versus coming in and tearing her up out of class. It's like the second time you did that. I was like, can you let her know? Can you at least let the teacher know? Okay, look, at such, such a time, I'll be there for speech. Like I told the teacher last week. I was like, well, look, dude, could you tell me? Because this this is not going to work. It doesn't make sense to pull her out like that. She just came back from a fire drill with this horrible sound. She was on her break. You come right in on her break, and you pull her up out of there to do speech. And then it looked like her normal routine is with another student because she calls her, well, you too, let's go. We're going to speech. And it was, and everything was just confusing. So I said, and I don't think she should be punished because of the way you came in and tried to eject her out of the class. Well, I'm um, I said, and next time, you should let somebody know better than don't pull her out like that. And so, um, Okay, okay, whatever. And um, I got the little girl. And she's like, I want to go to speech. I was like, well, now it's too late. They don't want you to go to speech now. You blew it. I mean, basically, she did. I didn't tell her that. But it's like, oh, you blew it. So you don't get to go to speech. Because she doesn't want to go to the office, you know. So now I'm talking to her. I'm like, look, we we can't go to speech. But I'll see if you can go back in class and um, give it another try. If you apologize to the tell little lady you want to um want to do your work or do something and so she didn't apologize she's like i want to do my work or whatever so i thought she came back to ask you can she get another chance to turn her day around because the way you guys did that was out of order you did not have to snatch her up like that she just came from a fire drill and you threatening her to call to the all like this whole thing is a mess well i think she could have did a walk like what you did take her for a walk to calm down i don't i don't think she needs to go to the office exactly Exactly. She doesn't need to go to the office. This is probably why she clocked you. Because oh excuse me, you can't say clock. This is why she slapped you because you, you pick at these kids. So, um she she got a chance to turn her day around. I said, and can she have a break since you pulled her out of her break? And it was almost I think P E or some kind of transition to another uh something they were doing. Uh so I said maybe when she gets back can she get a break? Since you just put her through all this, yeah, she can get break. So, um, <laughs> prior to this, by uh, well, yesterday. So yesterday, um, this lady, she likes silent reading. She wants to do silent reading, so she terrorized these kids to come in a group and have to be burdened with her. And then the rest of the class, mind you, these are special needs children. They're supposed to read silently. Some of them don't even recognize their letters. And they're supposed to read silently. Just pick a book and read it. So um, I've had enough of them reading silently. And, of course, so on top of that, there's a Caucasian male in there yesterday watching me, taking notes on me. So he's standing there taking notes. So I'm giving him the gas. So, you know, I got the muzzle, the mask and stuff. But my eyes are so, so, so uh, he's everything I do, I notice he was writing it down. And um, so 
I asked the paraeducator who was the guy, and she said he's somebody dumb. I'm sorry, man. I was like, uh huh. So, uh, during this, uh, time, I'm trying to figure out what is silent reading for children that barely, come on, they don't, they're not reading. So you want silent read. So I had enough of this silent read. Thing. I was like, excuse me from standing there so she ignored me. I was like, excuse me, I'm standing here. Oh, yes, can I help you? I was like, yeah, I'm standing here because you just said you wanted silent read. I said, do you think there's a way that I can take the little kids and put them in a group and read to them versus an impossible task like silent reading? Because I've been watching this not work for a while. Well, that's what Mrs. Such and Such is doing, talking about the paraeducator. And that's basically not what she's doing. There's people that want to sit at the table. They can do that if they're reading silently. But I'm talking about the the majority of the class are not going to read silently. You need to read to them, put them in a group, and read to them versus relying on them to sit there holding a book and be quiet. And they can't draw. They can't do anything but read silently. And you hollering and screaming in between all that, talking about everybody needs to sit down and read silently. So I pulled them in a group. Uh, read a couple of books, made the little one that would like to go to sleep. I'm like, you're not going to go to sleep. But we should help me read. So she reads well, so she'll help me read. And um, I got the boys engaged. So the boys, especially the black ones that you have to watch, the predators, they're outside. Can you watch um, the little black one? So the here, educator said, it's recess. It's hard. You can't. They ain't no, there's no watching them. There's no watching them like that and making sure he doesn't play. So I went over to the little boy. I said, um, and then I could hear her back. I know, but he does this and he does that and he touches this and he does this. And outside playing. So I said, hey, look, I'm tired of hearing her say your name. So I said the name about 22 times. I was like, I'm tired of hearing that. So what can we do so I don't have to hear that? Oh, no. I said, is there a way you can just not touch these people and just play, please? Because you're going to play because it's reset. But just not touch since you've been watched like this. Yes. I said, thank you. So he went on about his business, Pauline. And um, I one more thing about the bell. So I asked today what the bell was for. What's the bell for? He's sitting there blowing his whistle. What's the bell for? Uh, one lady told me last week, and she didn't know. She just blowing a whistle. I don't know. Sound like war. She don't know why she's blowing the whistle. She just knows she blows the whistle when this bell is over. When it's time to even get up, I started to start laughing. So today I asked the lady. I said, "What's this? What's blowing the whistle over here? What's this for? What's she blowing the whistle for? What's the bell for?" Oh, I think um it's for um like so the kids when they, you know when after lunch when the bell rings they don't run into each other you know running trying to get to class. I think that's what it's for because last time I remember it was this time that. This little girl, she was running, and she ran into somebody else, and then she broke her leg. Yeah, she broke her leg. So she broke her leg. So we don't want anything to happen to the kids. So I think that's why. I don't know why, but I think that's why. Awesome. Oh, okay. So I'll meet my line, and thank you for uh, taking my um, call. <laughs> no, uh, much obliged to Bay Area Mom. Uh, 909. Uh, Cal's 13 year anniversary if we're alive for 9 days I believe 10 days sorry uh, he used to regularly talk about how the school environment and those bells like that's like total Pavlov's conditioning uh, and animals you know how you train 
dogs or you know some other beast uh, if you want them to do a certain task or to respond in a certain manner uh, associate that bell with whatever and so they just you know do whatever you want on them as, as opposed to less using our words going out amongst it hey let's everybody make sure we're walking not being reckless let's be safe my favorite they have hall model you could even get sometimes they let the children do that you go out and you know if you're a responsible young lady responsible young guy hey you go out there and, and tell your peer let's, let's slow down make sure we're all being safe make sure we're not trampling anybody in the hall easy to a bell How you get that, that uh, school to prison pipeline conditioning? That was the context 909 would talk about it in the uh, just expectation. And I mean, this is like school work, uh, like setting people up for success comes with proper expectations uh, about what's going to happen, what time things going to happen. That is setting people up for success, even in a school context. Students and staff. Now you're already working with a population of students. They have difficulties, challenges that you're trying to help work them through. With this group, you're supposed to be especially sensitive to not, you know, giving them crazy disruptions to their schedule and no heads up and all over the place. So we start out, we got the crazy fire drill and all that noise, and that's bothering them and disrupted their whole little routine. So as opposed to they can go and all right, let's get back in, calm down. That was really loud, wasn't it? Right? That's crazy. All right. No, no, no. All right, let's go. Chop, chop. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Snatching up, you know, let's get over here right now. Let's go. Let's go. And punitive. Everything is punitive. And they're not using that word. Like, oh, you don't want to go? Go into the office right now. Right now. Right now. <laughs> like, dang. <laughs> I guess no. See, we can't use that words. We can't be a little bit patient. COVID, all the kids depressed, as I said, from the uh, segment New Mexico that we played at the beginning. None of that. No patience with all the folks who are dealing with all, all this right now. Just snatching. Oh, you're not, not going to speech? Office. Right now. Prisoned, and again, that's another one. When you play around with sex, there you go. You don't have your child's academic plan talked about before you get to the bedroom, already kind of planned the first six, ten years to try to avoid all that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's not too bad. Maybe, maybe. 10 years of that going to school and having white people snatch you around and t- send you off to the gallows for the day and in school suspension and all. Maybe that's not too bad. Maybe that's not too traumatic. She's resilient, right? Uh, they said, <laughs> after all that, all the disruption and, and all the rest. Of, oh, no, no, no. Nah, I don't want you to go. Speak. Nah, nah, you blew it. <laughs> like, dang. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's the way that Black History Month, like right on. That's that's inspiring young, young minds. Yes, you blew it. And and folks that are a a population of special needs children at that, like, wow. Okay, so and then not even she's just, hey, man, can you at least let me know if you can't let her know what the expectations of her day are going to be? Can you let me know so that I can try and do a better job in helping to manage her behavior so she can be successful in the limited context that we have here. Even that 
What's this nigga woman asking me? Absolutely disgraceful, but I mean, this shouldn't be a describe uh, a surprise. This is basically what it's been for the entirety of our experience: education system of white supremacy. Both sides of it, really, education and the labor aspect of it. Uh, and then they have the uh, white man come in and do the observing. Even that, like they generally do, you know, expectations. So you'll know. Oh, okay, right on. Observing. Make sure I'm on my P's and Q's, as they say. I would say it's a good practice for non-white people. Just think that you're always being observed, whether they have a white man physically present or if they have some sort of device and all the rest of it, the biometrics and uh, virtual uh, cameras and everything else. Uh, just think that you're always being observed. Uh, let's see. The silent reading. I think that's so important because that's a component of the school to prison pipeline when you have black children who are not properly educated non-white people non-white students in general but especially black students who are not being properly educated oh that's just setting you up right there for <laughs> they know where you're going like <laughs> you can't read you can't you know do any writing or can't do any math of any substance or what have you like oh you're going to be very limited with what you can do even you know what you're going to think about doing oh yeah we already know where you will be warehoused at we've already been building it for you got it all shiny and polished caught just for you interrupting that process as opposed to us sitting around wasting time you know they are not capable of this assignment. Now we can pretend and just go around and fake it and give everybody a nice big fake A. Lots. I mean, that's been going on for centuries. Who knows? Uh, or at minimum, just little groups. We can read to them where they will actually. Hey, maybe if we do enough of that, they actually will be able to do the silent reading on their own like we can progress to that as opposed to just sitting around and wasting time and totally destroying like we talked about that with reading like not really developing our brain computers to their maximum potential and having lots just generations of black people who are just totally disinterested and learning and reading anything that has to do with education because of this sort of experience and invariably with white women at the held helm excuse me and then that's two weeks in a row right we had educators who have dialed in we got a healthy dose of white male privilege now once again little black boy recess they don't, you don't get to go outside we used to do freeze tag they don't do freeze tag anymore might be uh, terrorism well I guess they got COVID so yeah I guess they don't do freeze tag anymore uh, but you would touch they would be touching you know they would do other little games and stuff not uh, choking out anybody or body slamming someone but I mean there would be you know some touching some physical contact we used to play football too <laughs> during recess I multiple weeks white woman teacher t 
talking about Black Boy during Aretha. Oh, you gotta watch him. You gotta watch. You gotta watch. Got raping tendencies. You gotta watch him. Once again, play around with sex. I am just. I'm sure. Your little black boys. This is the experience they want in public school anywhere in the known universe. This is what they want. Oh, they will just love you for the rest of their life and sing their praises. Oh, that time we were in elementary school where my teacher knew I was a rapist or at least a rapist in training. And they spent the entire recess looking at me outside the window. Oh, my parents hooked it up for me. Didn't even talk to me about racism until I was 21. That's what you're turning your child over to. Messing around with sex. Not having a plan to avoid all this to begin with. Talking to your child about racism, white supremacy. That's back to back weeks. Back to back weeks and educators in very different locations with the exact same experience. Hyper surveillance on raping black boys in elementary school who might not even be able to spell rape, it seems, in at least one of these contexts. But you got to watch them anyway. Woo, absolute disgrace. Much obliged, uh, Bay Area mom. Asking questions, I think that's so important. Powered a lot of that with Bay Area mom, combating. Just asking, can I get information? Can she get information about her schedule so we can have proper expectations? Suggesting alternatives to the silent reading, which we know these students can't do. Lots of opportunities for these race soldiers, particularly white women, to be super lazy and just have them watching television and uh, talking, playing video games, whatever. Silent reading in quotes where they can just hang out at their desk. Play on the phone, getting paid and counting down the hours until the end of the day. Might even count this as some black history month time because I gave them a report to read about Carter G. Woodson or some other Negro that they can't even read what's on the paper. Let's see. Uh, Before we get to some of the other folks who dialed in. uh, People wrote in as well uh, until justice at Gmail dot com until justice at gmail dot com so this person female victim of racism uh, hello this week rather the beginning of this month's workplace racism raised many red flags for me I work I work virtually told you don't have to appear on camera and never have to speak during meetings as do most employees so at the beginning of this month, I, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh my God, I wish I had like the, uh, what is the, uh, like piano sound effect, like from television when like they want to foreshadow something bad, <laughs> it's about to happen, what is it? it's like, uh, dun dun dun, there we go, that's it, dun dun dun, I wish I should, should cue that, I was not ex. Uh, so, dun, 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 cue the bad theme. 
I was invited to join a Black History Month group on Teams. The group was filled with mostly black people and white people who classify themselves as people of color, which kind of reminded me of Aya Gruber, Cowbell. Uh, she was just with us a couple days ago. I get in the group and wonder how they knew who was black to invite them in the group. I realize they must be going through human resources information to which I spoke to another black employee and agreed it was pretty invasive. You can guess absolutely nothing from the Black History Month meeting or group but a few trivia questions each week. My second red flag was that we were supposed to receive a company benefit at the start of this year. I noticed that they gave it to me. Then a week later, they took it back. I thought it may have been some sort of error they were correcting. I asked another black employee and she said they did the same thing. So I gave it some time because I thought it was an HR error that needed correcting. It was only when I questioned it literally two hours after I received the benefit. Red flags immediately went up because the other black employee showed me her account and she too received the benefit two hours. <laughs> that's funny. I shouldn't be laughing because that's not really funny, but like, wow, that's tacky. I'll read it again. Uh, it was only when I questioned it literally two hours after I received the benefit red flags immediately went up because the other black employee showed me her account and she too received the benefit two hours after I raised the issue. What made it more suspicious is that HR tried to place the blame on someone else, but clearly they initiated the transaction after the issue was raised. Last, I noticed mass hiring and with all this diversity and inclusion foolishness they normally put that e in there equity i always think die that's what uh you niggers will die uh foolishness they are hiring many black women which is find wait a minute did i let me try this again they are hiring many black women which is, I guess this was supposed to be fine, maybe F I N E. So we'll try it that way. They are hiring many black women, which is fine. And other white people classified as some sort of minority, for example, disabled or a person of color. That's what she meant. Okay. I work two jobs where I noticed this. The only people who don't count as diverse employees seem to be, uh, this is one where I would do like the uh, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> like you could either do that or just blackmail privilege. The only ones who do not count as diverse employees. Yes, yes. Uh, none of the jobs I work hire 
black males. Of course not. They're rapists. Many companies I have interviewed for as well will have a banner stating diversity and inclusion with stock photos, but will pull an Aya Gruber to change her name. That's so funny. She did talk about that in detail, though, like exactly what she's saying. Like Aya Gruber, for people who didn't uh, hear that program, she said that uh, white people will skillfully manipulate and use her kind of racial ambiguity, ambiguity because she has a white parent and a non-white parent. If it's to their motivations or whatever they're trying to accomplish, sometimes they'll say she's white. And then other times, whatever, depending on what they're trying to accomplish, they'll say she's not white. Just depends. Uh, they will pull an Aya Gruber and place someone like that in the minority category. That's exactly what she talked about when she was here on Monday. Even though I work virtually, I am observant. There was another black employee I worked with who got turned down for a raise for asking too many questions. Wow. I was able to confirm what was going on. How did you do that? I wonder. How did you confirm? I guess if you're listening, maybe you can give a five. How did you confirm? Did you like talk to him or somebody else like that? That was what was happening. He was a little too inquisitive. Continuing, even though I don't have to be on camera or speak, they find ways to find out who is black and who is not, then proceed with the mistreatment. Uh, I, I can only emphasize white people are not ignorant about white supremacy, racism, and they generally share. Uh, now, as she said, whether that's, hey, uh, most of us have to fill out some sort of application or what have you to get a job uh, or have to do an interview. Uh, most of us, I would say it's going to have to be in person at some point, even if it's virtual, you're going to see somebody, somebody is going to see, uh, what you look like, even if they have to, you know, driver's license, that sort of thing. I've had that for a lot of jobs where they have to get identification or you even have to do identification. So, I mean, most jobs, they're going to have, uh, your, they'll have access easily, whether it's looking at you or going to HR or whatever it is, it to get access about your racial classification. So. Absolutely. They're not going to be ignorant. Uh, and whether that means they go through that information to then solicit you for Black History Month, which good God, I've been talking about that for two weeks. Anything like that, like, again, your thinking, whether it's virtual, in person, whatever it is, I am not here to make statements. I am not here to educate any white people or frankly, any non-white people about what white supremacy racism is. That's not what I'm employed to do. Listen, and if anything, I would ask questions and I probably wouldn't come in with like 50 questions. Like it would be like a one, two question type of a thing asked in a very neutral, like I'm not uh, on the attack type of a thing. Uh, just trying to understand. Thank you kindly. And, you know, let's keep it pushing. And I might not even have that, but like, I have no real objective other than, you know, just like I said, if I had a question and wanted to clarify something, that's it. I do not think anything constructive uh, is going to come out of this. She said it was like trivia questions. I'm not surprised at all that they found some way of incorporating that term trivia. Meaning like minutia. Next to Black History Month or an activity that is. Uh, where they've solicited and invited, uh, tried to get all of the Negras, uh in the company. Just I think that's so important. Uh, and even if they like try to goad you, what do you think? You know, what what's your view on all that? I'm just here to learn. Thank you kindly. 
And I mean, like, seriously, like nothing. If you have a legit question, if something wasn't like explained or whatever the case may be, feel free. Ask your question. But other than that, like, no, I'm not here to make statements. I don't have any book recommendations like nothing. Uh, let's see. Anything else with uh, oh the benefits, man. Uh, number one, always make sure you interrogate your compensation we've had so many folks just like with regular like base compensation whatever your normal schedule your 40 hour work week and all that just that and non-white people were finding where dang something is off and you know this is wrong or they cheated me out of this tons of folks who talked about that that increased even more once we had all this from the last two years people all over the known universe saying that they were supposed to get extra benefits for COVID-19 or essential workers, hazard pay, whatever. And it didn't happen. Where's my pay? She said they give it to her and then take it back. They call that tackiness Indian giving. Say, That's white giving. Here's the money. Ha ha, gotcha. And she says, Man, you go and start inquiring that I uh, got this head that nigger. I give it back to him. I'm of the opinion if she had not inquired, they might not have given that money back. It would just been that eh, got that nigger stole her little bonus. You know, and sometimes those bonuses like if this I don't know if this is like the uh, end of the year type bonus, but sometimes those can be large like for some places like that could be like a whole paycheck that some people get like it could be thousands of dollars or a thousand dollars or several hundred uh, dollars. Like I've seen a lot of times where those bonuses are not uh, inconsequential, you know, so. Uh, or whatever, you know, whatever the compensation was supposed to be. But I've seen that we've had tons and exactly as she stated where the money, either they gave it and took it back or they didn't give it at all. Said, you know, money is supposed to be here. February 11. We get to February 20 and still nothing. You go and ask a question and then bang. And I think you've had some folks be in Toronto, some other people saying that they went and asked repeatedly. They had to go and ask and ask and ask if I think being Toronto she said they were so tacky they never even replied to her queries about where's my money we're supposed to get our bonus pay we're helpful y'all been out banging on frying pans and saying how much we appreciate where's my bonus pay nothing this went on and she had to email 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 finally they never responded they just sent the check after she had like sent three four emails doesn't get any better than tacky but I mean that's why one verify everything is correct down to the last shilling and then and that's a gotta be electronic like you don't do it in person you do electronically make your inquiry if there's a discrepancy or it's not there at all and ask and then if they don't respond you have that documented too you have the exact time stamp uh, date and time stamp of when you asked and then no follow up. All of that is puts you in great position. But the tackiness. <laughs> uh, let's see. Anything else? Let me make sure I get in. Yeah, all that about the uh, minority hires. Generally, that ends up meaning white women and or uh, it might mean disabled white men. It might be LGBTQI white men, transgender white men, transgender white women, might elderly white people. They'll say that they're this uh, 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 discriminated against uh, a grieved group as well. Uh, so a lot of times that minority, like with the NFL, the Rooney rule, it doesn't say hire black males. It says 
minority hires. So they can just go and round up a whole bunch of white men or excuse me, gay white men or white women or lesbian white women or disabled white women, white men, transgender, white women, men, intersex, white people, whatever. Uh, and oh, yeah, we'll get to the niggers. We, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, first thing we're going to do is fire that Mike Tomlin. Then we're going to get us some old intersex and LGBTQ head coaches in here. They are super skilled with the use of mine. That's why I said if I was in anything with Black History Month or anything like that, I wouldn't be there with like an agenda to remove the word minority or to get them to not use it. I might even just take notes, you know, about that sort of thing that this is what I expect, you know collard greens and fried chicken for black history mm-hmm. she said, trivia uh, what, what are the best selling items on Popeye's menu mm-hmm. write that in my notes mm-hmm. okay. that's what I would expect and I'm not going in with an agenda to change any of that to indict them as racist to get the black people to band together and try to do something eh. this is what I expect taking notes being quiet at most maybe I ask a question may how does Popeye's chicken fried chicken menu relate to Black History Month I might ask that question depending on how I feel that day I don't know <laughs> it would just depend but I mean yeah I, this is about what I would expect and this is all I've ever heard from the people where they've had these sort of uh, tacky I know mean, what you want time wasters <laughs> what you want to call it events projects whatever you want to call these these sort of tacky demonstrations uh, during February's this is all I've ever heard uh, from folks who've you know chimed in to share if we have if we have anyone who's participated in one of these events uh, where it was constructive 720-716-7300 the code 564-943 pound press star six one if you would like to participate the email until justice at gmail dot com let us see oh, we got other hands let's see might have some people who have uh, constructive stories for black history month let's see some of the other folks who dialed in with the hand up should be with us Uh, yes, sir. Your volume is a little low. Uh, if you want to speak up, or I apologize. Yes, uh, am I able to be heard better now? Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, good evening to the host, and uh, good evening to uh, all the participants of the program. Um, I wanted to share my thoughts on the NFL having black coaches or lack thereof black or one black coach. Um, It's been my observation that uh, many of the uh, players who come through to play professional sports have gone through a series of only having white head coaches. Um, When I was in school, I participated in sports and I never had a, an experience with a, uh, a black male or black person as a uh, head coach. And I'm sure that most people who uh, played sports uh, through high school or college have had that experience. And what it seems to do is make black males, especially, especially if you don't have a father figure, seem to latch on or to uh, 
uh, have imprint on that black male, that white male as a father figure, and that seems to uh, endure throughout their uh, career in that any whatever particular sport they participate in. Um, the uh, this past week, uh, my workplace racism was I was uh, doing my job uh, currying um, COVID test kits throughout the county of Westchester, and I observed um, a group of white people who were near a school that I was delivering to. They were protesting, and when I drove closer, they were protesting against wearing masks or uh, advocating that children do not wear masks in uh, school. And it seems um, just, what was it, uh, yesterday, the governor of New York uh, or whatever administrative uh, force in New York uh, rescinded that order of the mask mandate. So that is no longer uh, mandatory to wear a face cover and or to display your um, uh, COVID vaccination status in when you're going to a restaurant. Uh, and I would had intended to video and send to the uh, the the cows the video of these protests because it was all uh white people it was a group of about i would say 17 to 23 of these uh, 25 um white people including children who were um you know below the age of 11 uh out in protest of these uh they had their signs they were uh shouting they actually had a a state trooper, I guess, that was enforcing some type of uh, code of uh, non-interference with these uh, white protesters. Uh, but when I I had intended to come out of uh, the delivery and then videotape, but by the time I had come out, they had dispersed and gone all their separate ways or wherever they'd gone. But I was, uh, you know, a little bit perturbed by not having captured that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to report was uh, I was perturbed at myself a little bit, but then I gave it more thought when I was given an assignment. I was given this assignment actually uh, two days ago, and it was sort of at the end of, of my uh, day, around 6 or 7 o'clock in the afternoon after I had worked all day, and the assignment was ambiguous. And yesterday when I performed the assignment, I got details wrong because I didn't ask questions uh, about the assignment. The assignment was to uh, do my normal deliveries and collections and then uh, take a special letter to the, uh, the white uh, woman who is the owner of the company. And uh, I thought, that I was supposed to go directly to this person's uh, house to do some work for them. I just didn't uh, have the wherewithal the previous night to um, to ask questions. But then I think about it, I thought about it more, and the assignment was given to me by phone uh, by someone uh, who works for the company who uh, I don't deal with directly on a regular basis. And... Then another person who was a dispatcher gave me 
the assignment on my uh, phone, on the app that I have. And it was, again, ambiguous, where it showed that I was supposed to go to uh, one address and then finish up at the address of the white uh, woman who was the owner of this company. Well, I had done uh, uh, assignments for these people previously where I was supposed to go directly to this person's uh, house and then get an assignment from there. But this time, I guess it was different. And as a result, it put me way behind schedule. I had to uh, come back, and it was about uh, 20 miles uh, to go back to the original destination uh, where I was supposed to pick up these kits, deliver them to the school, and then go to the person's house. Um, and as I was just running very, very behind and didn't complete it, and I was sort of beating myself up. But when I really uh, thought about it, I thought, well, this was just a very ambiguous um, direction. So I just, you know, um, I gave myself uh, a bit of a grade uh, C for not inquiring for, uh, further. But I gave them uh, an F because it was just a very ambiguous uh, assignment that was not detailed. And it went through multiple people's um uh, I guess, hands before it got to me. So it was just not very well understood. Um, and I also wanted to comment on the um, the Bay Area mom. It, it, it frustrates me when I hear the, uh, the treatment of the students because it seems like, and I may be wrong, and, and maybe you can correct me, it seems like these are all students who are under the age of, uh, 10, and with those students, they tend to need a bit more advanced warning when things are going to be changed in their regular schedule, um, and it seems like there is not a lot of uh, real care in uh, giving them direction and an understanding of how, they're, uh, how they are expected to perform. Um, it, it, it makes... Uh, brings back memories, it seems like some of these uh, white teachers do things on purpose to provoke students into a reaction so that they can then talk negatively about how the students react to their instruction or lack of instruction. Um, thank you all for listening, and uh, have the best evening you can. I'll meet my line. Mm. Man, uh, 13 years that we've been on the air, uh, unfortunately, I think numerous victims of white supremacy have been triggered um, in an adverse manner by content that they've heard on the context of white supremacy. Uh, racist woman is very triggering, literally and figuratively. Um the white defiance much obliged uh sir for the commentary the white defiance that you documented uh with which do you, can, is it all right to ask i guess what what part of the world are you in did you say if you don't want to share that's fine too it's fine to say i'm in new york city and where i was delivering is uh westchester county which is north of new york city mm, okay and it's very wealthy and 
very, very much a, uh, a very uh, dominant white demographic mm. in Westchester County. Hmm. Posh part of NYC. I see. Okay. Well, uh, the white defiance. Uh, and, and now, I thought he just said that they relax, start relaxing some of these rules and regulations like masks are optional and about to drop the whole proof of vaccination requirement and they're still out mad protesting in number same thing I said with Canada like now if it was black people out yammering and protesting like that I don't think it would be the same so oh my god what am I going to do oh Wow, this is God, I don't know how to handle them. My goodness, what? Ooh, what's, this is no. Where is my nigger knocker? <laughs> like uh, we we know how to deal crowd control niggers. Only with white defiance. Oh my, helpless and overrun. They, they said in Canada, they said they got more protesters than the police. How is that possible? They would call in backups from everywhere. Like it. <sighs> Lawlessness in the streets. Lawlessness in the streets of New York. Disgraceful. Uh, let's see. The man asking questions is so critically important. Sometimes that's like the only weapon that we'll have, being in super weak positions as victims of white supremacy. But I mean, hey, sometimes you can do a lot just with asking questions. You might only need one question sometimes if you can get the correct question but I mean just asking questions uh, can do so much uh, to try to help keep you safe to point out mistreatment sometimes to stop mistreatment uh, particularly in workplace settings expectations maybe that's our theme for this week's broadcast uh, so many times not or racists part of their abuse and deception is to set us up with incorrect expectations so that we will be totally confused and disrupted about what is happening what is supposed to happen why isn't this happening now they know they just haven't informed you they like to wait give us that sort of thing way like what Bay Area mom was talking about come in young lady until we late like oh yeah things are off we had the fire drill and all that and what <laughs> what now I'm floundering oh yet yeah, you blew it same thing he said that the instructions were ambiguous now hey some folks could say you know hey you niggers you just don't listen well you don't pay attention to instructions you know he, he, he told you the directions uh, even though it was over the phone he laid out all of the instructions in a precise non-confusing manner I wasn't there so maybe that's true however I will say I've heard it way too many times and experienced it myself where individuals classified as white don't give all of the information where they will it would seem leave out pertinent critical details well, you're not going to be able to do your job in an efficient manner. Sometimes you won't be able to complete the task at all because they have left out 
critical information. It's not that we didn't that we just did a poor job of listening that we, you know, just had uh, snorting crack and all the rest of it on our brain. We just couldn't, you know, pay attention to instructions. No, frequently we have been set up to fail. I think in at least my recommendation I say for us to be easy on ourselves. Uh, I say always say, hey, when we get excited about criticizing a victim of racism, like, hey, the person that we know the most about in terms of who is messing up, not doing what they're supposed to do, not saying what they're supposed to do. MJ say that man or woman in the mirror, victim. That's it. Be patient. I always say, hey, racists, they will give you another opportunity to give a better response you don't even have to worry about it. it might be coming sooner than you like unfortunately but you will have probably many more opportunities to give it another try that said I think it's great that's how you improve your code just recognize I'm like oh I do this better do that better asking enough questions to make sure has anything been left out? Are they trying to deceive me by willfully omitting critical pieces of information or not completely explaining all the details that I need to complete this assignment? Because that happens on a regular basis. That's right in there with the same thing we talk about where non-white people don't get trained properly at work. Same thing, leaving out a lot of pertinent information so that you can efficiently and effectively do your job. Uh, the, and I like that. He said, I gave myself a C, but I gave them an F. There you go. And hey, maybe as Dr. Welsing, give them an A for racism, white supremacy, because that's probably that was probably their intent. If their intent was to do the job correctly and all that, then yes, they would get an F. But that probably wasn't their intent. Their intent probably was. We're going to get this nigger. If that was the case, Dr. Welsing, maybe give him an A plus on that one. Uh, but asking questions, man, that is so for everybody asking questions. And sometimes you might have to ask a number. Even we heard already got in trouble for asking questions. That can happen sometimes. But I mean, hey, if you're going to be fired for anything on a job, that's one I can roll with. You can work with that at minimum. I got fired for asking questions. Uh, let's see. That just, uh, yeah, bringing back memories about racism in the school. That's woof, when you play around with sex. Bad memories. Let's see. Um, Greetings. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, the uh, I think the last caller had a uh, pretty good point uh, in reference to uh, what the uh, black male professional football players are used to, uh, there is a considerable amount of the very best uh, teams on the high school uh, 
college and we know the NFL level where the majority of the uh, employees that have whistles around their necks, i.e. coaches, uh, are white. Uh, starting on the high school level, about the only areas where you're going to find black male coaches, head coaches, and the majority of the staff is in the public school areas that lie within the areas where non-white people who are rich classified as black are allowed to stay. Uh, even as old as I am, uh, started playing football in 1970 and stopped playing football in 1978. Uh, the only time that I was in contact with a black head football coach was in college. Uh, little league, it was white males, high school, the majority of the coaches were white males also. Now, even when I started coaching, uh, the first person that I coached with, the head coach was a white male that coached me when I was in high school. He, he of course, was still there when I got back from college. And he actually was the person that hired me. Uh, and, but that changed, that changed. And ever since that time, I coached with staff where all of the head coaches were black males, including in areas where uh, a large number of the student population were, were, were not, not the majority but a large number were white as far as the students and some of the, some of the white kids were on the football team, but they, the staff, the majority of them was, was black males, uh, you know, for the, because, because I, 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 I would not coach under a white male after that first initial, uh, coaching experience. Uh, as I've mentioned before, another another issue on why it doesn't happen because white people don't need they don't they don't need uh, uh, maybe I'm using the wrong word by saying need uh, the idea of of black males doing the coaching is not necessary for white people for one thing I'm, I'm talking about on any level <laughs> actually. Uh, but on, on, in a private, private institution such as professional sports, uh, it, you know, they can hire who they, they bitch can hire who they want. Just like, just like that report that you put in said, there's no enforcement, there's no enforcement for that. You know, so there's no enforcement. I mean, you know, these are large corporations, very powerful uh worth billions of dollars and uh and another and, and even even from the standpoint of hiring black males as head coaches there's a there's a metaphor term that's called coaching tree that's one thing that black males have a serious problem 
of developing as a head coach. That simply means having people that work with you, that's been working with you for a long time. Once you go from one place to another, you would take that certain amount of guys with you. That's very difficult to do for a black male to do. Uh, on just about every level, high school is, is easier uh, because, first of all, high public schools are, are controlled by the the uh, county that they're in, uh, area they're in, in the state. But uh, but on the college level, and uh, in the professional level, that that is very difficult to do. Uh, I, I can recall uh, Randy Shannon, uh, who I know personally. He was he was the first and only hit black head football coach at the University of Miami. And uh, he he had a problem with that, uh, but uh, yeah, th- those that that's very very difficult to do. Uh, the issue with these these school, some of these schools on the high school level that are private, it actually starts from that level that are private. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of IMG. That's a, that's an institution that's in Bradenton, Florida. It's actually it's like a small town. It's so huge. It's a sport industry uh, compound that that literally is almost as big as a town uh, where they train athletes from all over the world, all over the world, and all different sport, all different type of sports, anything from golf, tennis. And but I mention it because they also have on the high school level football teams. Uh, the head coach happens to be a black male, uh, Thomas Pepper Johnson, who actually played uh, with the New York Giants when they were winning Super Bowls. But uh, it's a billion dollar industry. That that one institution in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, that's where Alabama get a lot of their most of their a lot of their players from, but uh, it's such. I, I just mention all of that because it's such a huge industry that basically is very powerful, and they do. They, you know, they 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 they're going to do what they want to do when it comes to that. But then again, with me personally, I can care less. I can care less about the NFL and its business. You know, as far as that concern, if it go if it went away, it wouldn't bother me at all. And uh, those are my thoughts. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. I see there, old uh, insubordinate uh, brother firefighter said, "I'm I'm not I'm gonna be unruly uh, if I have to work under a white staff member. See, I'm not gonna be a team player then. Like, uh, unless we have more black coaches, then I can work and be peaceful. Like, and." I would expect all of that racism and paternalism that the previous caller uh, before retired firefighter that he was talking about in terms of that white man is supposed to be like dad, 
white father with all the religion of white supremacy. In fact, Anthony Pryor was on the program multiple times. Uh, the slave side of Sunday. That's exactly what he talked about because they do they do play on the Sabbath and they do a whole lot of pointing at the sky and quoting John three sixteen and the religion of white supremacy. So yeah, it is supposed to be like white father. I would totally think like not only are the players supposed to be you know obedient negros to the white father, but definitely the assistant coaches like have some uppity nigger around here and acting like you know got a problem with white people and the man being the head coach like man <laughs> firefighter or no the other thing when he was talking about businesses plural this is not just the NFL like, no no Nike billion dollar industry they make a lot of NFL paraphernalia. ESPN, mm-hmm. they they are going to make billions of dollars over the next 48, probably 72 hours with their coverage, round-the-clock coverage of events in Los Angeles. Uh, I don't even know which network has the game, but Fox, CBS, all of them. Uh, hey, we carry this product. This makes it look like we are cool showing all of these shots of white coach here and white coach there and white coach there. And we can't find it like we are okay with this and we are not. ESPN is not about in the name of Stuart Scott. ESPN is not about racism. It's been 20 years. This is a disgrace. So you get we pay for them. That's the way that they can tell them to like, hey, we pay billions of dollars to showcase these images of racism where it looks like you're unwilling to hire black head coaches get your act together ESPN could talk to him like that CBS white president of uh, the ESPN ABC that same thing they could talk to them like that we carry these games get your act at NBC Sunday night football get your act together Nike got our name and logo out there on the gridiron these folks running up and down for exclusively white fathers head coaches to come out here if they met mm-hmm. that's why the redskins are no longer the redskins it was not a retired firefighter or gus or some other people it was when fedex said hey this is getting on our nerves you all need to do something and that was the end of the redskins got FedEx on the stadium all of those stadiums in fact should have a vet. FedEx too like man you got our name up on the stadium and can't hire a Negro coach to coach the Redskins come on do better right now 20 years is an embarrassment that's the way everybody that's why I say for all this when they get to talking about progress like really that is a disgrace like that's not the way white people talk about anything in fact the way they should have done it even maybe that's what Johnny Cochran wanted who knows hey this is like urgent by 2020 I don't know like half of the coaches should be black that's the way it should have been like not you know hey whatever and blah, blah, blah. like he said no enforcement no teeth in it like no this is what we expect like solving this problem we're not pussyfooting around and just gonna pretend solve the problem or like I said fire Mike Tomlin which they were just talking about doing like last year, <laughs> like fire that nigga. We're tired of it. It, it is possible. Gus. It is possible. 
he has not been doing well lately. The I team, see. I'll put it this way. The, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers have not been doing well lately. <laughs> blame the I Negro. Blame it on, necessarily blame it on the head coach. That's what you do. That's what you do. You blame the Negro. The Rooneys, uh, and that is a right. family. You blame also. the Negro. That the Rooney family, unless I'm mistaken, uh, they own the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll double check, but like, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Blame the Negra. He's been there a long time, uh, and they just the quarterback is every we can clean house. We can start with a fresh a fresh slate, and uh, you know get things headed in the correct direction. Blame the Negra. You can get out of here too. You and Ben, we can have a nice send off everybody and start fresh for the 2022 season. But yeah, and then. Make it plain. Hire a white coach and make it because I said they were just talking about firing him last year. Make it plain. Get rid of all the niggers and just have zero. Make it plain. 20 years on, we have exact, which is exactly where we were. Zero. So we've made and they can say that we're progress. We, we've been working hard. And, uh, you know, the, maybe the CTE is part of it. You know, we got a little bit of brain damage, but we're going to get it together at least. And then they'll come out and be tacky and say, hey, hey. We, we don't have any Negro coaches. We do have Snoop at the Super Bowl. Now, isn't that progress? Haven't we come a long ways? Hey, Snoop at the Super Bowl. What, what do you think? What do you think? Hey. Doesn't get any yeah. better than tacky. I just wanted to say something, something uh, a little uh, positive, constructive. I, I, uh, uh, get phone calls all the time from uh this young fella that I coached uh who this is back in early two thousands. His name is Steven Tullock. Uh he played eleven seasons in the National Football League. He had an exit plan. He actually went into the NFL uh after going to college just three years. Uh he did finish with his degree. Uh at one point in time, he was the second highest paid player for the Detroit Lions. The, the number one player was the quarterback, and that's the white male that's going to start for the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, what's that? Sunday? Sunday. I forgot his name. Uh, but uh, he, he's, he's the owner of a, uh, of a coffee house. I think it's called Coffee House. Uh, restaurant in Fort Lauderdale and uh uh no CTE no no CTE that I know of Gus <laughs> you know about him uh but uh he's do he's doing pretty well just wanted to recognize him he's doing pretty well as a person uh to uh get through all of that and uh retire with something uh constructive that he is doing uh, yeah thank you much obliged. Good to hear. Always good to hear folks who get that exit plan working like uh, Bay Area mom and it's a black male to get out of that brain damage and be doing something, uh, opening up a business and all that. That is spectacular. Uh, I guess I'll only say quickly before we nab some of the other callers that thing with that CTE, as they said a few times, even I think it was our caller in Georgia reminded us that they can't exactly diagnose that, unfortunately, until you are deceased. Yes. So. We yeah. don't really know. Uh, we do know not possible to play tackle football safely. That's it. 
uh, much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, I'll give out the number again, 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, before I nab uh, B in Santa Rosa, some of the other folks who dialed in, I did want to say really quick, uh, retired firefighter uh, mentioned the uh, NFL's coaching tree as it's called all of this is the same thing you don't have to think about it in terms of sports this is just racism white supremacy and labor period uh where i think in other professions it would just be you having what they would call a mentor i put that in quotes uh, i discourage the use of that term We've talked about that before but you would have an individual on your job who would be giving you constructive information and in fact not just helping you do the current job that you have, but helping you kind of look forward uh, maybe five, 10 years over the uh, trajectory of your career and kind of letting you know things that you need to do to be moving in that direction, to get that promotion and that sort of thing, that same type of thing and helping you in getting those promotions so that you are getting the positions that will line you up. If your goal is to be the CEO or whatever it is, these are the positions that you need that will put you on track to be considered for that position in X amount of years. Uh, just like in normal non-sports jobs, you have what they call dead in jobs where, you know, like, Hey, <laughs> You will sit in this title for the next 20 years with no promotion, no nothing. Like if your goal is director, like you will not get it in this spot. You need to be, you know, see if you can get a promotion or something. Maybe go to a different company, but you are not going to be hired for any sort of big time jobs at this position. That's the same thing with the NFL, what he was talking about. And they same lame excuse like mm, we just can't get the Negroes into the assistant head coaching positions. And they just seem to be like chief water boy and custodial assistant. Hmm, why for 20 years? Same thing. Like, really? You can't get any of the Negroes even. They were even talking about some of the coaches right now who've been on teams that went to the Super Bowl and were really successful and they played a big role like dang they can't get a job like what is what yeah well, and, and this can't say it's the same thing with black males struggling to get hired hmm uh, other folks who dialed in if you have commentary if we missed you totally line should be open Proceed. Can I be heard? Be in Santa Rosa. Yes, sir. Hey, um, good evening to everybody who's uh, participating. Um, today, today was a uh, day started off great, but the way how the day ended was, um, how you say it? Uh, not too good. Um, I was uh, at work. Um, got to my last stop. Um, made the delivery. The lady comes out. I say, hey, you know, sign for there. She signed. She goes back in. This is my last stop of the day. I was like, I'm going to take my break. I looked to my right. Um, it was like empty. It was no houses. It was across the street. Um, it was a place that was 
that was burned down from the Santa Rosa fires. They had to rebuild right there. I don't know why. But it's a beautiful view. Really, really beautiful. Um, see all kinds of trees and lights. It's, it's nice. So I was like, I'm going to pull over here and take my break. I pull over, take my break. I pull out my book, start reading, start eating my apple. And a guy comes up, he, he, he pulls up, he goes into the house, the last house I just delivered in. So I'm just sitting there reading. And the guy comes out. He walks all the way across the street. And he comes over, he knocks on the truck, and he goes, what are you doing? I looked at him. I was, I was like, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> he was like, well, my wife was home alone. And I was like, I had no clue she was home alone. And, and she was worried because you came across the street. And I was like, what's she worried about? And she was like, well, you, you've been sitting over here. And, and you're a big guy. I'm like, I was like, I can't sit here and read and be a big guy. I, I have to be up to something. And the guy was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not up to nothing. It was just, we was worried. And, and, uh, and I was like, like, dude, like, seriously, today? <laughs> and um, I questioned him a little bit, a little more, because uh, I was trying to stand a question lane. And it just got to the point where he was just, you know, I'll, I'll leave you alone. I, I thought you were doing something that you shouldn't have been doing or, or whatever. And he goes back in the house. So I write it down, I go to work, I make my report. That was the end of that. Um, uh, one more thing I want to talk about was uh, um, the lady the other day, the goober lady. Um, I had a, there was a question I really wanted to ask her, but I got on so late and I was like, I don't know if I should do it. But the question was, um, um, are you only white when it benefits you? Because I had asked her, um, you know, about the, you know, the Asian and white thing. And the other question I wanted to ask her was, do she have a definition for justice? And when I woke up the next morning, another question popped in my head that I wish I could have asked, you know, I wish I could have had ready for, but I'm a late thinker. <laughs> Something happens, I think about it, I sleep on, I wake up like, man, I should have said this, but... My question was, how are you still a feminist after writing your book? And uh, that's all I have to share. I'm in my line. Thanks for letting me share. Much obliged. <clears throat> Be in Santa Rosa. Uh, oof, for sure, if any time for the cliche, better late than never. I'm sure there are other contexts where that cliche would be whew, applicable, but definitely with thinking, yes, better late than never. Uh, that Hey, Mr. Fuller does say, still learning. Brain computer is always on. Um, with the Karim, there have been so many of those over the past two years, and it's... Uh, that D word disproportionate number of uh, victims of racism who tend to do the delivery driving. In fact, we had some listeners who dialed in since the start of the pandemic. They said that they watched a demographic shift in the people doing the parcel deliveries in their region. They said it prior to everything with COVID-19 that it was predominantly white people 
doing the deliveries since the pandemic, it switched to predominantly non-white people. And I think she said this was within like the first year. So this is like within 12 months, that radical of a shift. Anywho, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> if confirmation, uh, if yeah. you had two, of us, two black people in a whole building, if you had to do this situation again, uh, or if you encountered the exact same situation again, same circumstances and all, would you do anything differently or would you play it out exactly the same? Um, I'll, I'll probably play it out the same, but, um, yeah, I'll probably play it out the same because I, I stayed in the question lane the whole time. I, I didn't really ask him. I didn't really answer any questions. I just asked him questions. Why are you here? Why are you? <laughs> I'm a big guy. What do you mean a big guy? You know, like. So yeah, I, I think I did. If I grade myself, I, I give myself a a B plus, and I'm happy with that. trying to get an A okay um yeah if or does your employer do they have a policy on what you're supposed to do in that sort of situation if you're accosted by someone while you're in your vehicle and still on the job um no they want us to go and call the police but I ride with a bulletproof vest because I live in San Diego, so not a lot of black people out here. And a few times I'll deliver to somebody, walk straight up to them with a package in my hand. They look at me like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? I got on this brown outfit. <laughs> what are you looking at? Just my skin? Like, what? Yes. <laughs> What's going on? It's very dangerous. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, you could be a you nigger. Remember during her, or I don't know if you do, but during Hurricane Katrina book club, uh, they had negras who had stolen a mail truck um, not to loot packages and go out and terrorize and trick people in uh, loot mailboxes, but to flee the flood, toxic flood water. And they pulled them out at gunpoint. This was a really popular photograph. They had the part, the mail truck in the background and they had all these black males uh, on the ground at gunpoint uh, by some of the I hope it was National Guardsmen <laughs> talked about them already, but. Yeah, you could have stolen, you know, the truck coming in here acting like you're delivering pa- and 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 big black male. You look like you got raping tendencies. My wife is home alone. Yeah, you frightened her. I don't know. Yeah, if you- I mean, I'm big, but you know, I'm not like I'm six two and a half and two ten. Rapist. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He wasn't yeah, laughing. He, it, well, they, <laughs> they were serious rapists. <laughs> that's what he said. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's what he oh, meant. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> you're a big guy. My wife was intimidated. Rapist. What are you doing here? Rapist. That's what he meant. <laughs> like the whole time. Like, I when that whole situation started, like uh, I don't, I, I don't really have a grade. Like uh, you got through it safely. So right on. You stayed in the question lane. That is excellent. Um. My suggestion, I actually go exactly with the company. Like, I am out of here. Like, I have no idea if you have a <laughs> firearm. Like, if you're coming and you see huge Negro male, 
my wife thinks you're a rapist. Mm. Like, you could be coming to kill. They had the report I just read. It was on the front page of the Seattle Times. It was a black male. He was just like, well, not just like you, but uh, he was going out delivering papers. And I mean, oh, worst job in the world at like two in the morning or something uh, here in like one of the areas right outside of Seattle proper. It's a super white uh, neighborhood. There is an off-duty sheriff, white man, sees him at same thing like you said now in this respect exactly the same you're in a uniform I have a package I'm certain you're probably not out in your personal vehicle maybe or maybe you are I don't know but at minimum you got your uniform package doing whatever he's out delivering papers boop, boop. clearly he can watch him going down the street boom boom oh paper dude okay right 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 I've seen that before no he doesn't see any of that he sees nigger potential rapist <laughs> and he called I mean serious he calls the police and says nigger's gonna kill me cause he he got out of his vehicle the black guy he sees this white guy tracking him and he gets out of the car and like what's your deal man what are you doing I just this is an off duty police officer who's armed he could have shot and killed him on the spot because all he did was get on his radio and say there's a nigger here he's gonna kill me he's gonna kill me so like 40 police officers arrived on the scene got this black guy gun a black paper delivery person at gunpoint by Frank 40 Liger. police officers for a total lie like this white man has been charged they got the 911 team like he said it repeatedly like my life's in danger the nigga's gonna kill me he's gonna kill me and he's delivered but the point is when I read that report on neutralizing workplace racism I said oh my god like he could have died on the spot like I'm not doing any confrontations with random white people at this point. Like, and he's on his home turf. He just walked. You said he just walked out of his house, presumably. Man. Yeah. Oh my God. Who he could have every Sig Sauer and Walter PK and who knows? Like, he thinks <laughs> you're a rapist. That's what I'm thinking. He th and this is his neighborhood. I don't know if he's called Fred and Susan and Tom and everybody on the neighborhood watch association Helen nigger in the front you see him I'm gonna go out and confront anything happens in fact give me 30 seconds and then pow they train for this sort of thing Plan I mean yeah. they write books about this sort of thing that's Turner Diaries they write books about it might be the book we're reading right now too we just you know uh, but all of that to say I am cool. I would have to take my break someplace like I yeah, I wouldn't even feel comfortable taking a break like in a neighborhood like that. That's not my so called neighborhood. I might not even feel comfortable in my so called neighborhood, but definitely not like <laughs> random white neighborhood wherever I am for that type like I would expect something like that to happen. Like for them to see me and rapist, you know shooting that like I'm out of yeah. here I'm gone like I'm not talking I'm not saying you did anything wrong I'm just saying I'm a scaredy cat I would be thinking this white man could kill me in the next 10 seconds and you know maybe they come out and arrest him maybe they don't yeah man that was yeah I'm just thinking back you know oh my god he's a nigga reading a book he's so dangerous I'm gonna confront him <laughs> Thinking back now, after you said all this, man, uh, yeah, I probably should have just cut on my car and took off. Cut on my truck and took off. Don't even ask your questions. Just take off. Now that you mentioned this.
Timan. <laughs> still mm. learning. We're still. I'm just saying. I'm not even saying you did anything wrong. I'm just saying that would be my code. Like, is victim guaranteed qualified? I just I try to emphasize as much as I can. White people are so dangerous, man. Like. <laughs> Anything where you didn't plan and they're coming up to initiate a confrontation and especially I feel like any any of the folks where you have to go out to their residence, you're at such a disadvantage because, I mean, that's their terrain. You know, these are their neighbors. They know, you know, these folks, they can call and get a whole posse together like right now. And I live here. My garage is right here. If I want to go get my chainsaw rifle brass knucks butcher knife brother-in-law all of the above like baseball bat i'm at home (laughs) like you're the that's the case anywhere in the known universe in the system of white supremacy but i mean it's like super exaggerated when you have to go to their property oh my god i'm the home team you are the visitor like i'm out of here like Cool, cool in the gang. Sorry, made my delivery. I'm out of here. And then I would report it. I like what the uh, employee policy is. But I mean, just everything about that. My wife thinks, mm-hmm, rapist. I could be dead in the next few moments. Thank you kindly, sir. I'm leaving. Uh, did any any other folks have any? Because I know we have a lot of folks who do drive. Do we have any other folks who have any thoughts? Or if you, do you have a code about how you deal with that type of situation? If you're a cost, if you don't have a code, and you do delivery driving, you need this code because too many of these situations. They had the the one in Florida. We talked about it with uh, this is North Florida, so not retired firefighter. This is like uh. Uh, Tim Tebow land like Jacksonville Jaguar area they had the white woman she came out black he wasn't even on break like you're just a lollygagging you know nigger pretending to read they had it was a black guy he was out with the pa- and I think he was in an Amazon truck too he wasn't you know personal vehicle none of that uniform on all that professional packet what is this nigger doing here Nick man I will get my gun and she was rolling they had the camera on and everything I said the same thing then, like, oh, my Lord, it's time to go. Like, I don't have any questions. I don't have anything to say. I'm not recording. I'm gone. Like, talking like that, I told I could be dead in the next five seconds. She's at home. She can access all of her firearms. I have, I don't even know. David Duke could be in the house. Chris Kyle could be in the house. I have no Dylan Roof could be in the house. I have no idea. All of them. I'm gone. Goodbye, and then I can call the police as I'm exiting. Like, I anybody out there, Gusty, you're a scaredy cat. Yep. Why is that? White people are really scary, and I'm at a super disadvantage. <laughs> if I'm at, the, I'm literally, I'm on your doorstep. You can kill me, and then say I'm trespassing. Yeah. I have a report. Retired firefighter. Yes. Uh, the first thing I'll say is, uh, being that I, uh, wore a uniform for almost 30 years, there's, there were several times, uh, where white law enforcement would, uh, say to me, what are you doing in the area? 
you know, area meaning inside of the yellow tape. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I have on, I have on a, a uniform that states that I'm a Dade County firefighter. <laughs> uh, one, one thing that I think is something that, uh, people who, uh, deliver black people who deliver packages, uh, to, uh, residents, uh, is to never, 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 never walk on the homeowner's yards, stay on the concrete services like the uh, sidewalk instead of, in, in other words, if you go, if it's a situation where you have to go house to house, which I see sometimes with delivery people, meaning that, okay, there's a house here and then there's, then there's a package I got to drop off next door. Sometimes the worker would, would take the shortcut, quote unquote, and just walk across people's grass in their front yard or cut up the side of the house because it's, it's quicker. I'm not saying you're doing it, but I'm just saying I've seen, I've seen uh, uh, drivers who are delivering uh, goods to people's house doing it. That should be a code to not to do, to stay on the sidewalk. If you have to go next door, then you go down the sidewalk that leads up to the front porch that you were on, go back on the sidewalk and walk and then walk right up the interest level that that is designed for you, for that person to walk up because I, I I've seen it countless of numbers of times. And uh, even I'm stating that to the person who is, you know, a walking, first of all, if not from a security reason, also for a respect uh, 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 reasoning, meaning that the person probably just cut their yard. <laughs> they don't want anybody walking, walking right across the middle of the front yard in the grass, that sort of thing. But mainly from the standpoint of safety also for, uh, for the, uh, the driver. Uh, I think that I think that would be a good idea to make that a practice, and that's it. Mm. Raping Negra stole a fire outfit. <laughs> right. <laughs> System of white supremacy racism. Like uh, he even he even tried to be authentic about it and rub some soot on himself, make it look like he's been out working. Uh, right. That makes logical sense, I think, too, because it you just anything will be used to like justify or say that you did something unprofessional or you did something to provoke them having to come and confront you and get hostile with you. So absolutely staying on the path or, you know, walk away, whatever it is, so that you can say, oh, you walked, trampled my zillions, you know, all the rest of it. Like, yeah, anything professional. I was on the sidewalk or, you know, pathway or what have you to get to the residence. And that's that. Uh, any any other folks have any any thoughts or, or I guess refinements about their code if you do delivery driving and just because it's been so many of these I feel like it's escalated since the pandemic because it's been so many more deliveries uh, for so many everything I guess uh, and then people are just hostile and armed and you know everything else so um, it's, it's and it's been so many reports of these where it, a white person has gotten hostile uh, the same thing like with the masks where they've gotten hostile invariably with a black person uh, with a, it wasn't even that the black person walked through the yard 
You know, tra- the black person didn't trample their flower bush. Uh, the black person wasn't being sassy with them. The black person didn't just do a drive by and toss the package out of the window every time. From what was shown, the black person was being respectful, professional, courteous, typical. You know, didn't ask to use the restroom, anything crazy like that. And all of a sudden, hostilities, nigger this, nigger that. I'll kill you. Even some of the times they block them in. You know, like it's it's escalated. That's the other reason why I'm a big fan of. Uh, leaving because I've seen so many of these instances once it even starts down that path uh, what are you doing here my wife is nervous you look kind of big rapist once we're at that point like man like no joke no exaggeration I've seen where in like five seconds a firearm could be in my face like a firearm might be trained on me right now like this is his house I have no idea is his brother inside with a sniper scope like bullseye on my head I have no idea like I'm out of here like I'm good and I that like seriously that would be my code I would not take breaks in a white neighborhood I would have to be like well-lit area uh, if there is a gas station a supermarket something like that that's close by a park uh, if it's daytime and it's open I would have to be there I just couldn't be in a random white neighborhood that I don't know just because there's so many examples of black people being killed much less all the rest of it being killed uh, in white neighborhoods where you know what what are you doing here you're looking at my wife my sister my daughter that would be a major part of my code if I uh, delivered and no conference like I'm never getting out of my vehicle to confront anyone like never ever 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 for any reason uh, and it's really no conference that like that would be my code like as a driver like I'm not confronting anyone like once it even seems like this has gotten unprofessional you're being hostile anything like that <laughs> goodbye I'm going to make my report I'm out of here bulletproof vest is I mean if you're close enough to touch me or shake my hand or lean on the window a bulletproof vest is probably not gonna you know be enough so yeah that's just that would be my code if we have other folks who like I know we have other folks who drive so we have other delivery folks if you have what is your code to make sure that you stay safe let us know uh, if you've had a similar situation when you've been accosted like that by some random you know race soldier suspect uh, let us know um, you know what you think is is the safe way to to try to navigate those type of situations or any other tips for driver folk to stay uh, as safe as they can um, let's see do we have uh, any other folks that we missed totally Regarding the uh, person who does the delivery, uh, your volume is a little bit low. Uh, if you want to speak up and get your deliveries, then we'll get our caller in Florida as well. Uh, my only suggestion would be to make the uh, interaction as uh, short in duration as possible. 
because I have uh, my observation is that uh, racist white people tend to enjoy the back and forth and the escalation of uh, um, uh, of the interaction. So I would suggest making the interaction as short as, and as serious as possible. Great suggestion. Uh, this is our black male caller from earlier. Um, great suggestion, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and as he said, I think a lot of times race soldiers, they enjoy that escalation. One, the chimp out. Remember that racist uh, website, Cows 13? Uh, they love that. You know, see if I can rile up the nigger and get him all mad and yeah, he's sweating and ooh, yeah, I got him. They love that just for, you know, pure racism. But in this context, oh yeah, I love the Esca because, hey, I'm the home team. You can get as mad as you want. I'm at home. It's my neighborhood. Get riled up if you want to. Love it. <laughs> and even if it is my neighborhood, even if I don't have all my other neighbors, just the situation I just told you right here in Seattle. Hey, I'm an off duty enforcement officers. I already got my lie that you were trying to kill me. I want you to act up. Please act up. Get rowdy. I got my hand on my trick. Please say something. Jump on the car. Do any- I might lie and say you did it anyway and just shoot you, but please, then I don't have to lie. Please get rowdy. So I'm a huge fan of very short, no escalation, no confrontation soon as anything seems like it's drifted away from I'm just making a normal delivery Uh, time to go make a report Uh, let's see much obliged for your patience color in Florida yeah commentary oh wait a minute the you remember that what I'm talking about Uh, the white woman she was in North Florida she had on the Florida Gators t-shirt and she went out and terrorized a black male delivery driver it was about a year it was within the past 12 months or so do you remember what i'm talking about yes yes sir the the orange and blue florida gators sir yes sir Mm. Mm. much obliged for the confirmation sir feel free Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, as far as the uh, delivery type of uh, job, like I don't necessarily make deliveries to people's uh, addresses necessarily. Like I take um, like the, the office mail to the post office uh, and I really haven't, well, Fortunately, I haven't encountered any race soldiers through the years, um, but I can I can agree with that. Just making any kind of uh, hostile interactions with um, with random white people, just try to make it as uh, just short and quick as you can, concise. I just try and make sure I park close to the post office 
certain areas, back out and go. Um, that will work best, in my opinion, as well. Uh, I would like to report some observations. Uh, the first is, um, let's see, there was a person who, I guess he was trying to say that he has a white parent, non-white parent, or a white parent and a black parent, right? So it was a white woman on the right side, right? Exactly. So it was two seats. Now I was take I took a passport picture, so I turned around. So they asked a race question, like we got all these uh, classifications. You know, he's from Africa, so this person is uh, like a tan skin person, I guess. So non-white, okay, and he was saying that he has, um, he was using the term biracial or whatever, but the white woman was saying he, he's African, so, man, uh, you know, we're kind of in a bind here, so he put African-American, and that's what's on the list, or black slash white, that they have that on there, or white slash black, so it's a lot of confusion, so, I was like, well, whatever, <laughs> whatever's best for you. Cause I asked about this, uh, and I reported this on the cows a couple years ago and white people in high positions, they, they never gave me an answer. So I just said, you know, whatever's best for you. And, uh, the white woman, she was like, oh, well, you know, just put, uh, black and white or something like that. Because, you know, she says she helps take care of uh, three kids that are, uh, she said, the word mixed. And so they just went with that. And then uh, he starts talking and the white woman says, well, hmm, wait a minute. Are you from Africa? You don't, you don't sound African because I used to work with someone at my last job who was from South Africa and he had an accent or something like that. She was saying, so I was just walking out to my, like, well, you know, what's even meant by that. So he, she was talking to the couple saying this, um, that was, that was number one. So number two, now in the same area, a black male person, uh, walked in because see, we were busy with me and two black females in the area. We were helping uh, customers. By the way, they were black customers in the segregated area space. So this white woman, she didn't she didn't even step all the way into the, the uh, research area. Now, you know, I could see her in my peripheral, right? So um, she was just standing there. She had on a mask. So this black male walks in. He was already in there about 15 minutes ago. So he steps in, and she's like, hey, you know, you need to stand six feet or you need to put on your mask. So, <laughs> like, like, what is this? Like, she was bold, like, entitlement, narcissistic, racist, bold. Like, and he, you know, the way he reacted, he just kind of just walked away and then walked to one of the desks 
to uh, the other coworker that works with me, but she was gone at the time. So he was coming back to, to finish making a payment on his copies. So the, the black female said that he could go and pay at the front counter and then, you know, they'll take care of it. So on his way walking out, like, what do you mean put on a mask? Because, you know, they're not mandated. The customers are not mandated um, in this area in Florida to wear a mask. It's only we are at the uh, in the courthouse. So he's like, what do you mean wear a mask? Like, you don't work here? Oh, I'm I'm just following the the rules and the guidelines. So she starts she started with this dude, the black dude. So he then walked out of the department and she follows him and stops at the door entrance and peeks out and says something. So very confrontational, you know, racist. Now it don't it doesn't end there. So I'm about to go to lunch. So I go into the other room. Well, the white side, okay, um, and I go and write on the marker board that I'm about to go to lunch. So where my name is, I go and move the piece to the side where it says out. This white woman went to the front counter to um, the non-white person at the counter. And, yeah, you know, I'm here to get a passport, and I've already taken my picture um, and by the way, uh, I hope this surface is a lot better because you have four employees over there and I waited for 14 minutes and they acted like I totally didn't exist. So she went over there and told a lie. Okay. And it was out of context. We were busy. So I guess her, you know, her racism still was, uh, showing at that point as well. Like, Hey, you need to cater to me right now. Like, I don't care how many niggas you have in here. Like, that's that's the vibe I got. So, I I said to the black manager, "Hey, this lady went and made some kind of report on us." All right. So, she just uh, she took what I said, and she remember who the person was. So I don't know if there was any conversation about it at all, but. Uh, that was when I wanted to report. Um, there, there was a black male, right? So this guy's like in his eighties. Um, I talked to this guy today and apparently he's been dealing with race soldiers, uh, on his property. So he has an easement, a right of way where you have to get documentation to uh, gain access to a property that goes through another person's property. So he says for almost 20 years, he's been going to the courts uh, and they've been deciding in this white woman's favor after she's been terrorizing him along with other people. Like for instance, he has trash that he needs to have picked up. Uh, and the waste company has been picking up his trash because this white woman has convinced them to not even go down the path or the street where he has this trash can at. She said rocks and gravel and, and cow manure, stuff like that. Like he said, oh yeah, just look at these documents. 
So I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm like, man, this this guy's been terrorized, like victim of racism. Um, one of the documents said that he called law enforcement, uh, where he's heard like ten to twelve gunshots on the property, right? And another one is has a date that says an unknown white woman threatened this black male and went back into the white woman's house. So, you know, this guy has had like a rattlesnake or some kind of snake species set behind his rear right tire, like different kinds of things happening to where mainly is dealing with this easement on his property where this white woman is finding ways, not with just her, but other white people to block from the block him from gaining access to where his property is. So he's paying the city of high Springs, Florida to, uh, to get his trash picked up. And this, this white woman alone is in some way convinced, uh, the waste company to not even pick up his trash because I guess she's saying that he doesn't have an easement. So, I talked to this guy today, so it really does go back to 2003 and uh, this 2022. So he's still um, uh, going to the courts to try to um, to file paperwork to try to get this thing resolved. Uh, and I have one more. Um, this white woman. Now, I think she violated dress code because she had this. Um, this form of symbolism, it seemed like it was something political, like uh, maybe law enforcement or something. Uh, and it had a gun, like on a sleeve, like Black Hawk something. I'm like, this is interesting. And uh, so she's talking with another white woman. So she says she made chili. So she shared the chili with another white woman. So she had crackers, right? So she walks up to the uh, the white woman that's, sit, that's sitting adjacent to her. Uh, oh, you want to try some of these crackers? So I'm like, oh, okay. It's not like they're about to do something with this word cracker. So she uses the phrase, Polly want a cracker. And then the other white woman, the newer White woman says, Polly want a cracker. Um, so she takes the crackers or whatever. And this white woman, she says, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about that. You know, I wonder where that term came from, cracker. So she goes back to sit down and she's like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, you know, where, where did they, you know, what does that even mean, cracker? And then this other white woman starts saying something about railroads and certain kinds of people or something like that. And she was like, no, you know, I really just want to know why white people call crackers. So I'm just eating my strawberries and trying to eat healthy or whatever, you know. I'm like, nah, nah, you're not about to get me. <laughs> so that came from that click chat upstairs. This lady's like 58, 59 years old, came out of retirement. Like, nah, you you know, we got the Florida cracker down the, down the road in Ocala. They got memorabilia, stores and stuff you know what a cracker is like they're saying that all the time. So yeah, she's saying she want to know why white people are called crackers. Um, 
but yeah, that that's all I have to share in that, you know, black male privilege once again. And that's all I have to share. Thank you. Black male privilege. Black male privilege. Especially in the Sunshine State. Woo! Man. The uh Racial classifications, uh, always love all the folks who work on jobs where they like routinely as a part of your work duties, detail in some way, racial classifications. Fascinating. Uh, I would have probably told them this uh, tragic arrangement couple that comes in and all that. I was like, check all three black, white, white, black, African-American. Pick any other boxes that you think apply to. Like, check them all. Like, uh, see what happens. Like, maybe they'll tell you it, it won't. Or if I was feeling really devilish, I would contact the supervisor every time. Be like, you know, I don't know. Let's see what they say. <laughs> and ask them and see what, see what every time, see what she says. Like, does she tell them to check all three or pick what you like? Or, you know, she asked to see photographs. Like, let me see your driver's license. What's on there? Like, just depend on how much time and energy I had uh, until they told, unless they told me not to do that. Um, I have no idea what sound African means, uh, unless that's just some white supremacy racism. Um, like that's such a massive chunk of land continent. I believe it's called like, I, I, yeah, I don't even know what that is other than white supremacy, racism, sound African. Hmm. Um, the white woman and the mask thing like the whole time I was thinking like what in the world like Ron DeSantis like if I was going to say anything to her at all like what are you talking about this is Florida like you sound like one of those like liberal you know lunatics running around here infringing on rights like what are you talking about this is Florida man <laughs> like uh yeah, I was thinking like mask, like man, I'll run around here and high five everybody. Like, what are you talking about? Mask, like uh, <sighs> the written. Now, I thought white people and especially white women are just terrified of these ogre and raping black males. Like, what do you mean? She confronted him you put your mask on right now you make sure you're six feet get over there right now what are you doing what you're le- oh, let me follow. following it what you're afraid he's gonna turn around and bash your skull in and rape you maybe she knew the panic button was close by like she wasn't you know that concerned about all this but i mean wow that lets me know a lot about my state. And I mean, again, we're in Florida. Like I could see maybe if we were in Seattle, but I mean, you don't even work here. Like that's, you know, staff should be doing that much less. There is no rule. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to distance like Ron DeSantis. Let's see. And then I was going to ask when he shit, he said, now we were helping and it was black people. And I was going to ask, is that related? Is that, does that have any context for the story? And then after I said, I'll, maybe I'll just listen and he'll explain. He said, oh, okay. So this white woman gets upset and then she goes, I was waiting 14 minutes. You kept me in the segregated section. You got these unruly niggers. You're doing all this nonsense. You got niggers coming in here. They're not wearing masks. I'm outraged. Like, oh, he's, 
helping black people like you should have made those niggers move right now take me trying to get out of here you got niggers and their cootie viruses it's an outrage you got me in the segregated segment white women it is their world all of us we're just trying to do the best we can to get by not be accused of rape uh, reckless eyeballing or any other infringements on white women um the poor black fella like I said, we got 20 years of the Rooney room 20 years of him just trying to get his trash emptied and one white woman can go out and <laughs> prohibit all of this I don't know if she has relatives who work in the sanitation department or what have you which could be friends or just I'm a white woman and you know Negros are trash. Let him keep all his trash. <laughs> and then he said they go to court and they rule in her favor every time. I thought it was patriarchy. Isn't that what they say? Patriarchy. All these these males have got together and they just keep us down. Mess us over in the court of law. Mm-hmm. And he's just trying to get trashed. Like, why is that such you know an outrage? Where she has to go and do all the dump feces? Really? Just to get his trash dumped? What does it mean to be white? I don't have anything else to do with my time and energy for 20 years. Except obstruct a negro from getting his trash dumped. All I will say on crackers, I've been to Florida many, many times. They have markers that explain the history and etymology of crackers I have pictures on my phone on my Facebook on my Twitter we talked about it in the archives I'm an ignorant Negro of racism white supremacy if you are a white person and you've been alive and you're not like five you know what a cracker is in the context of an individual classified as white drive around the sunshine state a little while that I'm sure you will get a reminder quickly matter of fact one of my favorite t-shirts I lived in Georgia your neighbor the uh, Atlanta Braves basket or baseball team way back when like 50 years like 1950s or so they had a different baseball team in Atlanta it was the Atlanta crackers and it has a picture of a white man on the front that's one of my favorite shirts I used to wear it all the time Atlanta crackers anywho and that's another one like resist the urge I'm not here to educate white people like whatever eat my strawberries uh, we did our three hours much obliged for folks joining us. Hope it was worthy of your Thursday evening. Uh, we will be here uh, tomorrow. Compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Try to make sense of what has happened. Uh, Black History Month continues. More bomb threats at some of the HBCUs. 9 Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, Saturday. All of that said, sobriety would be best. Uh, man high-functioning brain computers will be needed in addition to being sober if you're out and about really same thing I said with the deliveries like it's not a good time for confrontations with strangers 
uh, lots of guns. They had so many reports about that. They were saying, what's up with the increase in uh, gun violence and that sort of thing? Hey, psh, lots of people bought guns during the pandemic. Sometimes drunken logic is enough. Like there are other factors, but I mean, hey, some of this was predicted. More people have guns ready to do some shooting. You should be thinking that when you're out and about in public delivering or just, you know, going to the grocery store or whatever. Hey, this fella that's yelling or she may be armed, in fact, might have an entire armed entourage. Uh, if you didn't prepare, leave your residence ready to kill and or die. That's the way that we should be thinking. Like this could be a lethal confrontation in the next five seconds. If I'm not ready for that. Maybe both. Peace. Exiting. You can report as you are exiting. Vacate. If you're in a vehicle, sober, buckled, not on the phone, doing the small things that we can to stay safe and trying as best we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. All of that said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim Your brother problem. You're a victim uh, i'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning mm -hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned uh.